of the Municipal Transportation Agency Board of Directors and Parking Authority Commission to order. Good afternoon, directors, staff, and members of the public. We thank you for joining us. This meeting is being held in hybrid format, occurring in person at City Hall, room 400, broadcast live on SFGovTV and by phone. Please note that a time limit of 10 minutes of remote public comment on each action or discussion item has been set and noticed for this meeting. The phone number to use is 415-655-0001, access code 2660-443-8523. When the item is called, dial star 3 to enter the queue. Commenters will have up to two minutes to provide comment unless otherwise noted by the chair. Please speak clearly, ensure you're in a quiet location, and turn off any TVs or computers around you. We thank you for your cooperation. Places you on item number two, roll call. Director Hinzi. My apologies, not used to going first. Present. Director Hinzi. Hinzi present, I see. Present. You're joined. Yep. Director So. Present. So present, Director Yukutiel. Here. Yukutiel present, Director Kahina. Present. Kahina present. Directors Eakin and Heminger are not expected today at today's meeting. However, you do have a quorum. And for the record, I know that Director Hinzi is attending this meeting remotely. Director Hinzi is reminded that she must appear on camera throughout the meeting and in order to speak or vote on any items. Places you on item number three. The ringing and use of cell phones and similar sound producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. The chair may order the removal from the meeting room. Any person responsible for the ringing or use of a cell phone or other similar sound producing electronic devices. Places you on item number four, approval of minutes for the July 18 regular meeting. Uh, directors, are there any changes to the July 18 minutes? Seeing none, uh, we'll now open public comment for those attending the meeting in person. No one lining up. Um, Secretary Silva, please go to remote public comment, please. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. Moderator, first speaker. Great, can you hear me now? Yes. Great, David Pilpel. Uh, two items on item, on page three, item six. Uh, Third uh, paragraph, Chair Eakin shared that she attended the Juneteenth Parade, thanked staff, and encouraged others. I would insert the word to, T-O, encouraged others to attend next year. On page five, my public comment, second line, requested a discussion item was not regarding automated vehicle technologies. It was regarding a discussion item on electric transit vehicle technologies Sorry, electric transit vehicle technologies at Muni, comma, and acknowledged Annette Williams, blah, blah, blah. Those are my requested changes. Thanks very much. Thank you. We have no additional callers. Thank you, Secretary Silva. Um, we will now close public comment. Um, colleagues, is there a motion to approve the minutes? Can we incorporate those changes, Secretary Silva? Madam Chair, I'll move the minutes as amended. Seconded. Secretary Silva, please call the roll. On the motion to approve the minutes with those corrections, Director Hinzi. <laughs> aye. Hinzi, aye. Director So. Aye. So, aye. Director Yukutiel. Aye. Yukutiel, aye. Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Thank you. The minutes are approved. Places you on item number five, communications. I have none. Thank you, Secretary Silva. Directors, are there any communications? Seeing none, um, we will now open a public comment to those attending the meeting in person. Oh, actually, at the, for that item, we do not need to do that. We oh, can we move don't? On okay, to the next perfect. Item. So we can move on to the next item then.
Item number six, introduction of new or unfinished business by board members. Thank you, directors. Is there any new or unfinished business? Um, Director Ikudio. Thank you so much, uh, Chair Kahina, Acting Chair Kahina, um, for today. And uh, I'm, excuse me, colleagues, I have a couple things uh, this, this week uh, to mention. Um, the first uh, is I wanted to report back on, oh goodness, I should have had this uh, open. Uh, the first thing I had, yes, here it is, was last week I uh, went and visited about 30% of our custodial staff in the Van Ness Station. Um, we have about 65 members of the custodial staff and I had the pleasure and honor of meeting with about 25 of them um, in Van Ness. Uh, and some of the folks who've been custodians with our agency have done it for over 20 years. Uh, and it was really wonderful to hear from them, ask them what's working and what isn't, um, what it was like uh, you know, being on the front lines during the pandemic, uh, and just giving them some good old fashioned love and grace for all the hard work that they do. And so if it's all right, Christine would love to just uh, show the image of the folks that I met uh, while I acknowledge their names. Oh, come on, iPhone. Um, so from right to left, we have Yifeng Wu, Rick Tong, Ernesto Sivion, Leonardo Cruz, Jen Lee, Kirsten McGarry, Sandra Goldsworth, Francisco Panaigua, Se Tian Kun, Huang Yu Li, Xiao Rong Chen, Ping Hong Shu, Chu Hong Mai, Kua Tian, Chu Zhong Chen, Jing Zhang, Chen Rong Chiu, John Zhong, and I'm there in front. Um, so they were wonderful, and I just wanted to take a second and acknowledge them and thank them for all their hard work uh, for our agency, keeping our stations clean and safe. The second thing I wanted to propose potentially, and I know I think internally we are thinking, talking about this, maybe Director Tumlin, I might be stealing some thunder from you tomorrow, but um, we're about to hit the 150th year of our cable car system, of our uh, historic rail car system, excuse me, right? Yes, and um, we also unfortunately had the passing of one of San Francisco's um, treasures, and uh, just wondering whether or not it would be, uh, there's an openness to naming one of the rail cars after the one and only Tony Bennett, who died uh, at age 96 recently. Uh, and so if there is, I think it would be a great way to honor Mr. Bennett for all of his contributions to San Francisco. And the third and final thing um, is I've been having thoughts bored about Market Street a lot. I've been going up and down it, and something really isn't working about Market Street. Um, we've taken cars off of Market Street, but in the absence of really active street life and all the kind of vacant storefronts, uh, our main thoroughfare fair feels empty and vacant, and it is something that is affecting so many of the businesses and the people who live and work around Market Street. There is a growing chorus of people who are saying that we should bring cars back to Market Street and reopen it to cars, unless something, anything can happen on the street. I'm not saying that we should do that. I'm not proposing that. But what it has brought up for me is the fact that it, it does feel like in the post-pandemic era, it might not be a bad idea to take a fresh, bold, and interesting look at what we can do with Market Street in the interim while we uh, continue forth with our Better Market Street project. I'm thinking of turning Market Street into a real promenade, taking the, the uh, lanes that are existing for cars and landscaping it, putting trees on Market Street, a redwood grove, a theater, music, activations, something, actually turning our Market Street into something totally different um, as a way to bring people back. Now, I understand that this is not necessarily something that our agency can do alone, and I'm not actually saying that, I'm not speaking on behalf of the board from this, 
on this. But um, I think we shouldn't be afraid to take a fresh look at what is happening on this street, given the circumstances in our city right now. And so I want to plant the seed here in these comments um, as people start to advocate for bringing cars back to Market Street to think about going in the other direction and leaning into it as a car-free street and actually turning it into a promenade not unlike JFK was turned into as we thought about its eventual future. So consider the seed planted. Know that I'm interested in having cross-departmental conversations about this idea as a maybe few-year pilot, perhaps from fifth to third. And um, with that, I will accept all of the wrath and fury of everyone else in the city. Thank you. Thank you, Director. Um, any more new or unfinished business? Or Director Kamlum, do you want to comment on any of this? Um, I'd be happy to. Uh, with regard to the first request, uh, we do have a formal request in from Market Street Railway relative to renaming a cable car after Tony Bennett. Uh, and I uh, cannot speak to it any more than that um, and will defer um, all communications to Market Street Railway. But uh, uh, let us know that request is, being, uh, is, is currently under consideration. Um, I can also tell you that we have been working um, with the Mayor's Office of Economic and Workforce Development, um, along with various business interests along Market Street, um, thinking about what can be done to improve the vitality of the corridor. Uh, and while we are not quite perhaps thinking big enough, we are thinking about a thousand small things, things that would be really simple, like creating designated pickup and drop-off zones for Uber, Lyft, autonomous vehicles, and taxis. Um, as well as improvements to uh, the landscape and public realm um, and other ways in order to ensure that all of the businesses on Long Market Street can get easy pickup and drop off as well as deliveries um, and that people feel safe walking and taking transit along Market Street at all hours of day and night. Um, but I'm encouraged by your bold thinking and would eagerly participate in an effort uh, around rethinking Market Street. Thank you, Director Tumlin. Um, Director Hinsey. Yeah, exactly. Madam Chair, if I could, just uh, one quick item. I did just want to let um, my colleagues know that I participated with the Mayor's Disability Council uh, at their meeting. Um, they had a presentation from our, <laughs> from our staff regarding accessible pedestrian signals. Uh, for those who don't know, these are the signals that have uh, that have the big button that um, blind and visually impaired folks can push. Uh, and the, the signal uh, talks to them and speaks to them. And the council really pushed the staff on what it would take to uh, <clears throat> fully implement APS on, at, at all uh, intersections uh, across the city. And they requested a um, a plan for what that would take uh, financially. So as we start to consider the budget and uh, other policies around this, uh, stay tuned on that. I think the council's gonna um, have the staff back again, but I, I, I did just wanna mention that item from the uh, community as a request. So keep an eye out for that. And welcome to our uh, new colleague, Director So. Thank you, Director Hinsey. 
Um, and I also, um, if that's it, for, or did you want to comment on that? Um, I also want to formally welcome the newest member of our team, Director Lydia So. Um, Director So, I'm so looking forward to the perspective that you're going to bring to the team. Um, I'm highly encouraged by you know all the things that I've read about you, um, and can't wait to see you in action. Welcome to the team. Thank you. So now I'm really fully in action. I'm sitting here, and I am so happy to serve, continue to serve the city that I love, alongside with all these amazing stars you are on up here, and also dialing in with uh, with Director Hainsey. Thank you for the welcome shout out. And thank you for everyone here, and many of you who are sitting in the audience have helped me to be where I am. Um, shout out to some former planning department staff, Maya, and a couple other ones. Um, I just look forward to continue to be able to help our city, and I have a left and right brain being an architect, and also um, had done some amazing engineering uh, that the world have never done using glass as a structural system. So I hope that uh, with my perspective and my expertise can bring a different perspective. And I just want to have everyone ride safely on Muni, get out of the house, step out of the house, walk to the Muni stop, ride it, and feel safe and be proud to get to where they are. And I'm happy to be here. And uh, anyone who would like to talk to me, um, you all know where to find me now. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly do. <laughs> Thank you so much and welcome. Um, and if we don't have any additional um, your unfinished business, we'll now open to public comment for those attending the meeting in person. Hey, board members, Luke Bornheimer. Uh, I just want to thank Director UQDL for raising Market Street as a priority for the agency. As you all know, during the pandemic, Better Market Street was defunded, specifically the pedestrian and bike facility improvements. Um, at the time, it was due to a lack of funding, but then when federal stimulus funding came in, those improvements were actually not back, brought back to the project. So it would be great to see more focus brought back to Market Street and actually make Market what it was supposed to be as part of Better Market Street and what many people in our community spent over 10 years working towards for a vision uh, of Market Street that has not been fulfilled. So thank you, Director Cudiel, um, and I hope to see the, the agency actually make that a priority. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. I don't see any additional comment for those in person. Um, Secretary Silva, please go to remote public comment. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. Moderator, first speaker. Hi, this is Stacey Brandecker, and I'm practically shaking. Thank you, Director Yukuyul. That is um, for your bold suggestions. This is exactly the type of thinking that we need. This is exactly what Market Street needs, we don't need our streets to be given over to cars. We need to look for novel ways. Actually, not novel. It's what the rest of the world does when they have amazing streets like Market and Valencia and Castro and 24th and Chestnut and Union and countless others. We should be looking to take space that we give to motor vehicles and give it over to people and merchants the way it used to be over 100 years ago before the introduction of motor vehicles. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope that this 
idea goes forward and um, as rapidly as possible. Thank you so much. Thank you. We have no additional callers. Thank you, Secretary Silva. We'll now close public comment. Um, Secretary Silva, can you please call the next item? Directors, that places you on item number seven, the director's report. Uh, we're going to start off the director's report with a transit division special recognition. Uh, transit director Julie Krishman, would you like to introduce our guests? Yes. Uh, I am going to start by asking our uh, Chief Transportation Officer Brent Jones to come up with Demetrius Jackson. These are two of my favorite people that we're honoring today, uh, Demetrius and Sammy Yee. Uh, Demetrius has worked for the city for more than 24 years. She started as a station agent. She transitioned to transit supervisor, then the highly technical role of train controller into her current role as dispatch manager. Demetrius is truly one of transit's MVPs. Um, she's both an incredible systems thinker and a detail-oriented leader. She understands the technical aspects of our safety-critical business, and she excels at the people and cultural aspects of our work. And as a result, Brent and I have a deep trust for her work, and we're really excited about her vision. Uh, dispatchers play a number of roles in our system. They coordinate operator vacations, sick calls, and training needs. They make sure all the service gets filled each day. Um, and when we find ourselves in operator shortages, they also are the team that lets our service management team know where we could have gaps that need to be addressed. They also provide operators with critical safety and service information, such as special events, infrastructure changes, and finally, they check in on operator wellness and they provide support. Providing the dispatchers the support they need in order to support our operators is at the foundation of Demetrius's work program. Since taking this new role three years ago, she has developed the dispatcher training program and implemented year-round training. She's developed, uh, helped the department recover from massive shortages during COVID uh, growing the department by 50% while maintaining a high level of focus on workforce development. So she's been able to increase our numbers while also increasing our quality. She has improved standard operating procedures consisting of new job responsibilities that emphasize safety and customer service. And she's focused on building a management and administrative team behind her so that she can occasionally take a day off not something that was actually possible during COVID and well-deserved. Um, Demetrius cares deeply about our operators and has worked hard to give dispatchers the tools that they need to set a new standard for dispatcher and operator interactions. One where operators see dispatchers as a resource and a sounding board and truly a partner. Um, in our work, and this is something that Brent and I worked on really hard together this morning, what we feel like in our work, there are always bad days, um, but what makes you special, Demetrius, is how you approach those bad days with resiliency and empathy. Um, you continue to build on the good days. Your enthusiasm, energy, compassion, and efficiency are infectious to your colleagues, uh, to us, and to your staff.
say I am so grateful to be here. I am so thankful to Julie and Brent for giving me this opportunity to um, see a department that was shrinking and not doing as well. And to think that I could go over to that department and take charge and manage and implement different things to help support our team, our customers who are the operators. Um, so I am very grateful. Thank you. Uh, next, I'd like to call up Emily Williams, who is uh, essentially my chief of staff, um, and Sammy Yi, uh, who we're honoring as who's our transit division workforce manager. Um, Sammy has been in the agency for over ten years, eight, eight years in transit, right? Um, she is in a support role that does not get a lot of public glory or praise. Um, but I can say truly without her, nothing else that the transit division delivers would be possible. Um, Sammy works closely with all of our transit managers to develop strategic hiring plans, and then she works with our partners in HR to carry them out. She wears a tremendous number of hats for the transit division. Her work is equal parts collaboration, strategy, compliance, sounding board, and, and for many, including Emily and I, therapist. Um, Emily and I want to, wanted to articulate how important Sammy is to the transit division, but we didn't think that we could do it justice. So we reached out to some of the colleagues that Sammy supports. And I just want to share with you some of their quotes because they're really powerful. Sammy is truly a champion for our staffing. She has wonderful understanding of our operations and provides us with staffing so we can provide excellent service. In addition, Sammy always finds ways to carve out time in her busy schedule to support us. She is our lifeline to all things workforce or hiring. The amazing part is her ability to keep us moving forward in often fraught and difficult landscape. She does so with poise and humor and grace and charm that might otherwise make impossible tasks seem bearable. Another person shared, Sammy is so patient at explaining the HR system of the city, in my case, over and over again. I can't tell you how many conversations start with Sammy telling me, I know it's confusing, but here's how it is. She's adept at working within the constraints but maximizing output. She's professional, polite, and patient. Finally, it's been great working with Sammy for the past several years. I admire her as a colleague and view her as an esteemed mentor. So Emily and I recognize Sammy today because we all know how challenging the hiring process has been at this agency for the past few years, and especially for the transit division, which has lost hundreds of staff people during the pandemic. But with Sammy leading us, the hiring managers trust her to navigate the process for us and she's made a difficult situation easy for us and also really, I think, elevated our work uh, within HR, um, who we rely on so critically for all this work. So thank you, Sammy, for everything. Um, thanks, everyone. Thank you for Board of Supervisor. Thank you for Director um, Julie Karsbaum. I am so honored to be standing here accepting this recognition. It means a lot for myself as well as my growing team. Um, I want to say thank you to my 
um, direct manager Emily Williams for all the support and all the managers that I have supported throughout my years at Transit. Um, their trust in me has made my job a lot easier. So I want to thank you to all the managers that I work with as well as my team. Um, just two of my team members are here today. But without them, um, I won't be able to do this. So this honor goes to everyone in my team. Thank you. Um, so you all have seen the data that we've been able to get around improved muni speed, reliability, and efficiency. Uh, we're really proud of the numbers that we've been able to achieve, arguably better than any other urban transit property in the country, despite the fact that we've been economically devastated. Those improvements come about as a result of people like Demetrius and Sammy. And Julie reflected upon their skills, their technical skill, their strategic thinking, their emotional intelligence, their communication skills, and their abilities to take thoughtful risks. It's those five qualities um, that Demetrius and Sammy exemplify that are the heart of the culture change that the transit division is trying to, uh, to accomplish. And it's that culture change that is allowing us to make the service improvements that we would otherwise not be able to make. I am so proud of Sammy and Demetrius and the entire transit team for the work that they're doing uh, that is able to deliver the results the public is starting to see. Anything else on recognition before I move on? No, I just wanted to add that these roles are oftentimes not considered when we're trying to define the success of the agency. And it is so critical to have people with heart and people that understand how to lift morale, how to make sure that identify some of the challenges that folks are facing and addressing those um, in those positions. And so I'm, I'm so proud of Sammy and Demetrius for the amazing work that they have done during the pandemic, no less. Um, it's absolutely remarkable. And so I, I wish they had stayed so they could hear this, <laughs> but I know they have already left. Um, but I, it's a testament to some of the great work that has happened um, during, in the agency during this really challenging time, and it's amazing. All right, carrying on with the director's report. We've got um, some transit service updates, uh, report back from Fix It Week, uh, our anniversary of the cable car and YTAB graduation. So let me dive in. Uh, so as you know, we have no path yet to service expansion um, at Muni, but we are keeping track of our data every single quarter and about every quarter making adjustments based upon that data. The public can follow along with that data at sfmta.com slash Muni data. So for this summer's changes, which start on Saturday, August 19th, we're making a bunch of revenue neutral changes uh, that are rooted in basically dealing with where we're getting big ridership increases and having to deal with crowding, as well as preparing for the start of school. So we're excited that one of the changes that we'll be able to do is to bring back the 28 Rapid, um, the 19th Avenue Rapid, uh, in order to reduce some crowding uh, on the 28 19th Avenue. Uh, it'll allow people to have a faster trip. It will also allow us to deliver a little bit more service. The same is true on Mission Street, where we're experiencing some crowding, so we're adding a bus to the 14 Rapid. Um, and we're very excited that we're getting started uh, with changes to the 29 Sunset as part of the 29 Sunset Improvement Project 
uh, we'll be uh, uh, widening out the stop spacing uh, on the 29 in order to provide some quicker trips. Uh, we'll also be, in a revenue-neutral way, extending the 31 Balboa um, down to 5th and Townsend um, to serve the Caltrain station, but really in response to requests that we've gotten from South of Market seniors, um, as well as folks in the Tenderloin who want to be able to access critical services in South of Market um, and in the Tenderloin. Um, and finally, we'll be um, restoring the school tripper uh, buses starting uh, August 16th. And all of those service changes um, are detailed at sfmta.com slash service changes. Next up is Fix-It Week, and Andrea can pull up the video. Um, as you all know, I love Fix-It Week so much because it allows us to get all of our maintenance workers down for a real uh, big chunk of time to try to catch up with the decades worth of disinvestment that we have in the subway. Um, so this week, uh, which ran July 17th to 24th, um, we were able to get um, over 2,400 maintenance hours of work um, basically dealing with every single technical system um, in the subway. We accomplished a lot, and it is what um, has allowed us to continue to reduce major delays in Muni Metro um, by 60%. Next up, as uh, Director Yukuriel already announced, uh, tomorrow, actually, in fact, in uh, roughly, I don't know, 10 hours from now, um, is the 150th anniversary of our cable car system, uh, which started up at 4 o'clock in the morning on Clay Street on August 2nd, 1873. Um, Andrew Halliday and his father, uh, who were immigrants from Scotland, failed at gold mining, um, but managed to be successful at inventing a technique for manufacturing wire rope, and then had the completely insane and much ridiculed idea of using technology for carrying ore carts in mining and instead carry carts of people on a track on a really steep hill on Knob Hill on Clay Street. Um, Andrew Halliday himself had to actually uh, do the first run because everyone else thought he was so crazy and that he would likely not survive that first trip, but of course he did, uh, and he went on to invent a transit technology that not only became popular here in San Francisco, but around the world. Um, so we'll be doing a special event uh, at the uh, cable car turnaround tomorrow morning at Powell and Market uh, that may include uh, a reappearance of Mr. Halliday himself. Um, we'll also be doing tours of uh, the shops where the cable cars are built and rebuilt, uh, we'll have an exhibit at the um, uh, public library's main branch. We're offering a special five-day pass for the California Street Cable Line, and we're doing a whole bunch of other events um, in partnership with Market Street Railway. All of those are detailed at sfmta.com slash cablecars150. Um, you can also learn more about all of the history and operation of our cable cars at our podcast, Taken with Transportation, at sfmta.com slash podcast. Uh, and finally, I, I want to uh, give a shout out to our Youth Transportation Advisory uh, Board. And Andrea, if you can bring up the photo. Uh, last Saturday, we celebrated the graduation of the SFMTA Youth Transportation Advisory Board. This was our second group of youth advisors. Uh, and one of the things that inspired us 
uh, to create the Youth Transportation Advisory Board is in fact a student project at Lowell High School um, that resulted in the 29 Improvement Project that we are just starting to finally implement this summer. Um, so the YTAB uh, program includes 25 San Francisco young people between the ages of 14 and 19, um, including we had a first uh, middle school member, um, and they help us to understand the unmet needs of San Francisco's kids and youth. Um, they have helped us design more effective outreach to young people, um, and they've been um, instrumental in really helping us refine some of our service changes um, and other details in order to improve um, our service. Um, this year, uh, our, uh, our YTEP members uh, went on a whole bunch of different field trips to various uh, SFMTA facilities to understand how we work. Um, and we will be kicking off our third cohort um, once school starts um, in the fall. Um, and if you want to see updates about our next application cycle, if you have special young people who are into uh, transportation, um, go to sfmta.com and search for YTAB, Y-T-A-B, or Youth Transportation Advisory Board. And that is my report. Thank you so much. Uh, directors, any clarifying questions on the director's report? All right. Um, I'll just comment on um, my excitement to see an additional line um, or additional bus on the 14R line. Um, that is my line, so I'm quite excited about that. Um, also really excited of just like all the preparations that's happening ahead of um, school opening up again. Um, I was hoping that you could speak a little bit more to that. Some of the, what are some of the things that we're doing to get ahead of some of the, the normal rush that we see for students and how we're getting ahead of some of the uh, growth areas that we heard in the past um, and how we're going to do things differently this year. Yes. Um, so, Director Kirschbaum, do you want to speak to any of the additional details around the school tripper services and ways that we're working with the school district around bell times? Uh, in order to try to get ahead of problems? Okay. Um, yeah, as, as you know, um, one of the most successful areas of ridership recovery has been students, you know, and that's uh, both because their travel patterns haven't changed in the kind of the same ways that some of the downtown workers have, and also, you know, through our investment in... Uh, free youth uh, muni service. We've also removed a major barrier to youth participating in the program. Um, but it has created crowding and, and tension, and we never want to be in a situation where a student is late for school or their learning is compromised you know, because of their transportation choices. So the service uh, changes that we implemented in August are really designed to get service to two kids. So we are expecting less crowding on uh, 19th Avenue and throughout the 29. We're expecting less crowding on the 14 and um, just better overall service. We also, I'm so grateful for our Muni Transit Assistance Program because they work closely with the schools so that when we do have the school trippers in place, they're helping um, kids 
uh, be on the bus, but to de-escalate and to defuse any issues. The operators have also had, as you know, um, that massive amount of both de-escalation as well as self-care training. So this is really going to be the first school season where we get to see all the pieces together. You know, we have the the free service. We've now, we think, addressed the, the major hotspots for crowding. We have you know, our wonderful ambassador support system in place. And then um, at the places where we have really high volume of students coming midline, we have the school tripper program. So we're really excited to see all of the pieces work together. And you know, we're going to continue to get input from students. They're some of our best communicators. So if it's not working, Absolutely. they'll be the first to let us know where we need to make tweaks. And while we're doing the best that we can in order to anticipate travel patterns, travel patterns are rapidly changing. Mm -hmm. And continual adjustments in school select the school selection process makes it rather difficult to predict in advance. Uh, so we advise parents, particularly as school is starting and patterns are settling in, um, to not wait for the last bus that gets the kid to school in time. Uh, many of the buses are going to be full. We add additional service to the line, so there may be another bus coming, uh, but we also, there's a chance, given our resource constraints that we have underestimated, um, we can make some corrections later in the year, but please do, particularly at the begin, that first month of school, um, allow extra time to get your kids on the bus and to school on time. And what is our plan to, so we're, we're trying out, we have all these different components now that we're, you know, we think we're prepared for and there's still travel patterns that we're trying to identify and to see how things have changed. Um, what's our plan to iterate on that? Um, and we are limited, we are constrained on how much we can iterate, yeah? Um, so I think it would be helpful for members of the public just to set expectations of this is what it will look like um, if we do see we do need to make some changes on the the 29 versus you know the the 49 or whatever it is right um if you could walk us through that process that'd be great implement any sort of schedule change we uh do give it you know two to three weeks for the travel patterns to settle and people to to start to make uh, their more routine trips that starts to then between both analyzing our crowding data which we do at the very, very granular level. We're looking at every stop sort of in 30-minute in segments. We also then compare all of that data with what we're hearing from public feedback. So we get feedback directly from students through our ambassador programs, through our YTAB. We also get a lot of input from 311. Our service planners ride the system. Um, so we take all of those information, and then where we do find that we have additional hotspots for crowding, then we will look for ways to add service. But as we discussed um, at our previous meeting, because we're in a resource-neutral environment right now, mm -hmm. that will mean identifying other places where we can operate with less service. And... Those are difficult trade-offs, um, but we think it's important to keep up with these evolving patterns, and especially with our equity and our sustainability goals, where we are seeing ridership that we continue to invest in those corridors so that transit continues to become a strong option for more people. 
Also, bear in mind that when we do a schedule change, um, while transit app typically updates their schedules immediately, it can take Google Maps several days mm -hmm. to adjust to the change. Moreover, our ancient prediction system often takes between, I don't know, what, four and seven days to actually adjust fully to the new schedule. So oftentimes what I do in that first week of a schedule change is use transit app and then look um, for where exactly the buses are and make my own mental predictions um, until our ancient AI uh, figures out that in fact the schedule has changed. So if I'm a parent or a student and I want to propose a change or identify flag some crowding that's happening, what's the best way for me to do that? Uh, the two ways I would recommend is through the 311 system because they can handle so many different languages and accessibility needs. We also have a real simple uh, website, tellmuni.com, um, um, and that's another kind of easy thing to remember and to provide feedback. I really, um, it's really helpful when people provide feedback that they provide us the four digit bus number. And if they don't know that, at least the location and the line, we, we are able to um, really research in detail uh, what people are experiencing during their trip when we have that information. So we really appreciate whenever customers can give us that precision. Thank you. Um, in the event that folks do get their information from these meetings, which is my hope, um, I think it would be wonderful to have just like an update mid-year or like mid, like in the middle of the school year or the semester, um, just to see if there are any updates or changes that or iterations that we made to the schedule, um, just like a part of the director's report perhaps, but just something really quick, um, just so folks are informed of any changes that we've made. We'd be happy to. Thank you. And, and you can always go to sfmta.com slash service changes for the latest information. And we'll be adjusting that as we, as we move along. Thank you. Um, directors, I don't think anybody else is ready to comment on the director's report. So we're going to open this up now to public comment for those attending in person. Not seeing anyone line up in the queue, so now we'll go to remote public comment. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star 3 to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. Moderator, first speaker. This is Herbert Weiner. I would like to see a senior advisory committee that has the same parity as a youth advisory committee. Uh, we have important concerns, and so do the disabled. And I would like to see that parity. Uh, you certainly uh, gave audience to the Youth Advisory Committee. I would like to see a Senior and Disability Advisory Committee. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Um, I have... A well, a, a suggestion or question, I guess, is um, the should there be a maximum transit time for kids to get to school? I mean, since we don't have the sprawl of other cities, it would seem like something that would be pretty easy to sort of gauge that, that no kids should have to spend more than, say, 45 minutes 
um, getting to school or a maximum of two transfers. Um, anyway, that's just one suggestion. And then the only other comment was the notable absence of um, one of the most um, provocative uh, uni endeavors, um, which launched today, which is the Valencia Street uh, bike lane project. Um, I was surprised to hear the director not comment on it. Thank you. Thank you. We have no additional callers. Thank you, I do see Director Tumlin in the queue. Uh, yes, for the record, we do have a multimodal um, accessibility advisory committee that's aimed at seniors and people with disabilities uh, that meets uh, every third Thursday of the month um, from one to three at the Union Square Conference Room um, at One South Finesse. Thank you, Director Tumlin. Um, if there's no more public comment, um, we'll close public comment on item seven. Secretary Silva, please call the next item. Places you on item number eight, the Citizens Advisory Council report. We have no report this meeting. Places you on item number nine, general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the board of directors on matters that are within the board's jurisdiction um, and, and not on today's calendar. I have no speaker cards. Um, I do see, so uh, yes, we'll open public comment right now for those attending the meeting in person. I, I do see someone up um, and approaching the podium, so. Thank you, Chair Kahina. Uh, Luke Bornheimer, I uh, just wanted to talk about two different things today. One, Valencia, and the second one, Slow Streets. So first, with Valencia, um, thank you to staff for removing the signs from the bikeway, as well as starting the pilot. Um, while those actions took way too long to actually happen, I'm glad to see the pilot has actually begun. Um, I am concerned about the greater than 10 number of crashes and injuries that have occurred already since the construction started. And kind of a question is, will those count towards the pilot? Will they count as a pre-pilot condition? Will they operate in some gray area that will never exist and never be counted? Um, I'm also curious how the agency is counting and tracking crashes, injuries, collisions on Valencia during the pilot and again before during construction. Um, I'm also concerned about ongoing incorrect and dangerous driving behavior on Valencia. So there's been numerous accounts of parking, driving both mid-block and at intersections into the bikeway, U-turns through the bikeway, illegal left turns at every intersection on Valencia. Um, and so I just want to echo Chair Eakin's request from the Valencia hearing that staff create a curbside protected bike lane design as a backup solution in case and when something terrible happens on Valencia and we need a solution so that we don't go back to paint only bike lanes. Um, regarding slow streets, um, unfortunately, we're continuing to see infrastructure deteriorate on slow streets um, and be watered down, you know, with the notable example of Lake Street, which has a bespoke design that is different than every other slow street. Um, we're also seeing posts and paint not be replaced with a notable example of at Page Street and Masonic. Um, there was a modal filter that has four posts and paint that has been missing for eight months. Um, despite many requests from the community. Meanwhile, all of the local traffic only signs have been removed from every slow street. Um, so we're seeing more drivers use slow streets as cut throughs and we need to see more infrastructure out there. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Hi, <clears throat> my name is Sarah Bitten and I'm, I'm homeless living in my car. Um, 
I'm a Muni retiree. Um, someone in your uh, retirement division stopped my, my Muni dental deduction, which is right here, right here. And they put me on, uh, they said that they took $250 off my EBT. I'm not on, I don't have an EBT card. They sent me two checks. Uh, which were half the amount that they were supposed to. They were type checks. I have them right now. Um, I want to know who can I talk to to repair this report because I'm not on welfare. They stopped my automatic deduction, and I want to know who can I talk to. The lady changed my report and pushed me out in the hallway by the elevator. I want this correct, and I want some information from somebody. This is the second time I've come here. Thank you for your comment. Um, unfortunately, this is, um, we, we can't. I know, in. I've been here several yeah. times. <laughs> um, but I will defer. I don't like to be pushed out in the hallway when you, when you stop my, when fraud has been done on, on my, with my money. Absolutely. Um, so I think Director Tomlin may so, have. So, uh, or Kristen, can you work to make sure that we can um, direct this customer to the right uh, division? Thank you, Hoel. Um, I do not see any additional public comments from those in the room or in person. Um, so Secretary Silva, please go to remote public comment. Great. At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. We have no speakers. Thank you, Secretary Silva. Um, can you please call the next? Oh, sorry. We'll now close public comment on item nine, and can you please go to the next item? Director, that places you on item number 10, your consent calendar. All matters um, on the consent calendar are considered to be routine and will be acted upon by a single vote. There will be no separate discussion of these items unless a member of the board or public so requests. Item 10.1, requesting the controller to allot funds and to draw warrants against such funds available or will be available in payment of the uh, listed claims against the SFMTA. Those items are listed as items A through C in the agenda. Item 10.2, authorizing the director to execute master agreements with Star Elevator, Cone, Schindler Elevator Corporation, and TK Elevator Corporation for the maintenance of elevators and escalators in the Muni Metro system and at various F SFMTA facilities for a period not to exceed five years, from August 15, 2023 to August 14, 2028, in an amount not to exceed $5 million each for each agreement. Item 10.3, authorizing the director to execute contract modification number one to contract number 1316, Woods Facility Rehab Electric Bus Charging Station Pilot Program with Lifey Electric to close out the contract by extending the contract term and adjusting the quantity of the schedule of bid prices to reflect the actual quantity of work performed. This modification decreases the contract amount by $63.71 for a total contract amount of approximately $2.6 million and increases the overall contract time to substantial completion by 219 days for a total contract time of 489 days to substantial completion. Item 10.4, amending the Transportation Code, Division 2, Section 702, to reduce speed limits from 25 miles per hour to 20 miles per hour on 23 city street segments. Uh, those streets are listed in the agenda as item 10.4. That concludes the consent calendar.
Thank you, Secretary Silva. Um, we will now open public comment for those attending the meeting in person on the consent calendar. I see one person approaching. Secretary Silva, if I could present something. Hi, board members, Luke Bornheimer. Um, <clears throat> I'm commenting on item 10.4, the speed limit reduction. Um, so what you're seeing here is the agency's own data on streets where we've lowered speed limits to 20 miles per hour. What you might notice is that the signs, our solution to reducing speeds on our streets by installing signs on the side of the road has had zero impact on lowering speeds. And in some cases, we've actually seen increases in speeds on these streets. Um, so, unfortunately, while our sign shop is spending a lot of time and the agency spending money to put up signs in our city, and it, it sounds really great, we're actually not seeing any improvement in the data. Um, and also worth noting is that this is, these are 85th, 85th percentile speeds. So what we don't see from this graph is whether the most egregious speeders, the fastest people on these streets, if those are being impacted at all, and I would posit that they're not because the people who speed egregiously are not looking at speed limit signs. And so um, what I wanna point out is we know what's effective. We know that reducing travel lanes on streets, notably by installing protected bike lanes or transit only lanes, reduces speeds because it makes drivers go behind each other in one lane instead of two, three, four on some streets. And so we need to see the city and the agency doing that instead of just putting up signs and acting like we're actually reducing speeds in our cities. Um, we can also install mold filters or traffic diverters on streets to decrease cut through traffic, which is notably the fastest and most reckless drivers on our streets. Um, and so I just wanna ask the agency to put together a plan for a connected network of protected bike lanes, including on these streets where this egregious speeding is happening, so that we can reduce speeds, but also increase mode shift, um, which we know we need to do as a city. We have a goal about that. We have a goal about roadway safety and traffic fatalities and injuries. This solves both of those things. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Any additional comments on the consent calendar? Seeing none, Secretary Silva, can you please go to remote public comment, please? At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. Moderator, first speaker. Hi. Hello. Good afternoon. This is Barry Toronto. Welcome to the new uh, uh, director. Uh, yes, so um, I, I believe we're on uh, on, um, on um, consent calendar. Um, I just want to address one of the uh, items. There is is the Broadway. The thing is, is Broadway are are multiple lanes in each direction, wide lanes, and I think it's ridiculous and, and unenforceable to have it at 20 miles per hour through that section, which is the main uh, street to get from the financial district. Uh, toward toward the other parts of town through the Broadway Tunnel, so uh, so I, I think I think you need to re-examine having it at 20 miles per hour through that uh, on on Broadway. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, this is Stacy Randecker, and I'm um, echoing everything that Luke Bornheimer said. Um, drivers don't read signs. They 
read the road. And if the road looks like a highway, they're going to drive like it's a highway. And we shouldn't have highways in our city. Complaining that roads um, are not, like we need to keep speeds up. I don't understand how we should have any road that is over 20 miles an hour in the city. That's what is compatible with life. And we are the second most densely populated large city in this nation. We need to have lower speeds everywhere. And that needs to be done through road diets. And that is protected bike lanes, close entire blocks to cars, make alleyways or whatever for them to pass on. I don't want to deny access to anyone, but we cannot have this continuous grid be the bane of our existence that injures and kills people. We must slow cars. We must reduce the number of cars. Fines are not gonna help us. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, good afternoon, Vice Chair Kahina and Commissioners. My name is Jody Medeiros, and I am the uh, Executive Director of Walk San Francisco. And uh, our organization wants to thank the SFMTA for continuing to roll out the 20 mile per hour streets under the recent AB 43 law. We do know there is proof that reducing speed limits by putting up signs does change behavior. So I, I do want to counteract what some of the other speakers have said. And we know that reducing speeds by just five miles per hour, it does make a huge difference in whether a person lives or dies if they are hit by a car. 90% of people will survive if they are hit by a vehicle traveling 20 miles per hour. So I do wanna thank the agency for continuing to expand the speed management program to these 23 additional business corridors. And we are on the way of making San Francisco a safe speed city. What I'm here to ask you today is to continue to ask the staff for evaluation of this program. What Luke did show you is that there, are, there is an evaluation program and we sometimes need to do more to reduce speeds than just hanging a speed sign. That is indeed correct, that some things need to change at times if we are seeing that the evaluation is not getting the results that we need. And physical infrastructure might need to change to bring down speeds. Third Street in the Bayview is a great example to that. So I do wanna thank the agency. We are leading the um, state of California in doing this program and putting up and using AB 43. And I wanna thank them for continuing to make San Francisco a safe speed city. Thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Thank you so much for allowing me to uh, provide public comments on the consent calendar. And first, I would say thank you, uh, SFMTA, to continue to take public comment virtually. And second, I think it's time that SFMTA give Luke a medal. The amount of work that he's doing to make this a safe city for pedestrians, for kids, for families, on active transit is just beyond what I've seen anybody, any other resident in the city do. So thank you for all the work, Luke. It does not go unnoticed, and I really hope that SFMTA continues to work with Luke and the sensible solutions that he's bringing on the things that he's mentioned. I live in District 10 and Bayview and Third Street was mentioned. It is extremely high speed. It needs better design, it needs active transit, and it needs a connected uh, way to get from Chase Center, where it's double bike lanes ends, all the way to this valley. 
It's a way, it's a way to bring neighbors together and to make it safe for all mobilities. So please continue to work with Luke. His recommendations are fantastic and actually represent what people want. Thank you. Thank you. We have no additional callers. Thank you, Secretary Silva. Um, we'll now close public comment. Um, let's see. Um, directors, are there any comments or clarifying questions on the consent calendar? I'd like to move that. Sorry, you'd like to make a motion to? To move the item. Okay. And, Second. Um, before we do that, I did have um, just a question on 10.4, um, especially seeing the, the different, um, the analysis that was presented to us via public comment. Um, and it's more of a request, I guess, more than a comment. Um, I do wonder at our next Vision Zero um, update if we can get a like a deep dive, take a deep dive on the speed limit changes and seeing how effective they're being um, and any additional sorts of treatments or any sort of additional interventions that we want to make to couple the effectiveness of the speed reduction in those corridors. Um, it is it is a bit alarming to say that it hasn't really made any, we haven't seen any movement um, in speed reduction um, in those corridors despite changing the speed limits. Um, so I just want to make sure that we could flag this for our next Vision Zero update. Streets Director Tom McGuire. Okay, uh, good afternoon, Directors. Uh, uh, enthusiastic guest to that, uh, Chair, uh, Vice Chair Kahina. Um, and there's quite a bit, of the, quite, a, quite a number of the streets who, that are listed in today's agenda. We do have plans to do quick builds and road diets on, I think, um, we certainly uh, are, are, would never pretend that only signs uh, reduce speeds. Um, there's a lot of it, there's a lot to be dug into in this data, including the fact that surprisingly many of the streets on which we've lowered the speed limit to 20 already have an average speed below 20, but not all of them. And those mm -hmm. are the streets we need to focus on. So I'd love to d uh, dive into this more at our next update. Thank you so much. Now the motion. <laughs> so directors, is there a motion to approve the consent calendar items? So moved. I believe we already had one before, but so moved. <laughs> So I hear a motion and a second. Um, uh, Secretary Silva, can you please call the roll? On the motion to approve the consent calendar, Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. Director So. So aye. Director Yukutiel. Aye. Yukutiel, aye. Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Thank you. The consent calendar is approved. Excellent. Um, Secretary Silva, please call the next item. Places you on your regular calendar. Item number 11, presentation and discussion regarding an active communities plan project update. Hello, Acting Chair uh, Kahina. This is Maya Small, Planning Director at SFMTA. I just want to um, introduce our team and set a little bit of the context for the conversation we're going to have today. And of course, welcome to the new directors. So grateful for your service and joining us. Um, we're going to be talking about the Active Communities Plan today. We've been here once before, um, and we're going to be here a little bit more. So we wanted to explain a little bit why and what the purpose of this process is and why we're doing this plan. Um, so, of course, for most of San Francisco's recent history, government systems have designed and delivered streets for people walking, for transit, and for people in cars. Um, and everything not in these categories really moving by that kind of 3 to 20 mile an hour speed, um, including people in power chairs, in scooters, and bicycles, on skateboards, have really been left out of the system. And people navigating a system that's not designed for them often live in survival mode. They're at risk, and they feel like they don't belong. They tend to either disappear further, 
They act out and break the rules because they don't fit their needs, or in some cases, the rules have been intentionally designed for them not to succeed. Excluding people want to be seen and listened to, and for the system to acknowledge and, uh, the error and to fix it. And the Active Communities Plan is the vehicle for that repair to deliver, define and deliver programs and safe infrastructure for our rolling and biking communities. We know that when we have biking and rolling integrated really fully in cities, as we've seen in other places across the world, including Bogota and Taipei and Tokyo and Amsterdam, it can be the quickest and most individually reliable to move, way to move around a city, especially from door to door. Um, you're free from traffic congestion. You're free from potentially owning, buying, insuring, and repairing a vehicle. And it can be available to people of nearly every ability, every age, even help you carry your kids or other precious cargo that make up your daily life. Engaging those with disabilities is at the core of this work. It can be essential to commerce, a friend of small business, a cheaper and more efficient way to serve your customers, have your customers get to you. And of course, we're relying on delivery more and more. We're actively engaging these stakeholders, and we know that you know, small business is absolutely vital to San Francisco. We know it's been an incredibly hard time coming out of a pandemic. Any approved plan must improve their livelihood. Studies also show that when, then, when bicycling and rolling is safer, it is fairer. You have a significantly wider range of participants in terms of race, gender, and age. Excluding it from our streets excludes people's ability to decide for themselves what works for them. At the same time, we also recognize that this is uh, the cultural dynamics around rolling and bicycling infra infrastructure are really complicated. We must be honest and transparent about these challenges, the things that people face every day and, and what play out in our city every day. Um, there are a lot of people who are at risk, and there are a lot of people who are worried about change. For some of us, rolling and biking comes from a place of privilege. Uh, we have the resources, we have the time, we have the affluence and the comfort. But for some of us, rolling and bicycling is the opposite. For some people, it is a marker actually of poverty and that a car is a status symbol, um, that you have a resource to share with your family and your community. For some of us, biking and rolling is just really practical. It's a great and easy and healthy way to get around the city. It's a great complement to how we use transit and we rely on transit. But for many of us, um, especially small business owners, employees, and delivery people, the changes required to make rolling and biking feel safer is really uncertain and disruptive. Um, for some of us, there's freedom, excitement, and discovery in biking of seeing your city, your neighborhood, your community. It actually makes you feel more connected to your neighbors. You're moving at a slower speed. But for some of us, it marks or precedes gentrification, and building more infrastructure feels like it threatens the stability of our community. It, it also seems to um, show and demonstrate the sense of displacement that's already happening. And some of us are also the so-called invisible cyclist. These often include very low-income or unhoused people who can be unrepresented in infrastructure planning entirely. So we have to be thoughtful of the perspective we come from. The Active Communities Plan is the place to work through the meaning, the power dynamics, the decision-making process. We have to be compassionate with each other, build trust even with so many different points of view. So we want this process to be, the decision-making process to be fair and to be transparent. Our team will be coming back to the board several times between now and seeking adoption in the spring. 
Um, today, we also come after a lot of research and outreach. So we're just coming with information. What have we learned to share, um, listen to advice from the public, listen to advice from you all um, as the staff begin to develop a draft network and recommendations um, that will be released later this fall. So I'm going to hand it over to the project team, the very capable project team. Jean Long is the manager who is not present today, but we'll, we'll introduce her at the next one. Chris Kidd is the project manager. And we have Christy Osorio. Um, actually, this is her first time presenting at the board. Very happy to have her. She's been at MTA for four years, and she will also be uh, giving us some information on the plan. All right, Chris, all yours. Thank you, Director Small. Uh, and uh, thank you to the board of directors and Director Tomlin and the public. Uh, again, my name is Christopher Kidd. I'm the project manager for the Active Communities Plan, and uh, we wanted to provide you all an information update and to receive your input today. So we could go to the presentation. Great. Oh, thank you. Um, so we can go to the next slide. Great. So really, our, our focus today is to, to really share the breadth of what we've done, uh, especially since the last time that we appeared before this board, uh, and what we've learned and really how we are planning to integrate all of that uh, as we develop and build our recommendations. And we really want to do so in a way that is uh, collaborative not only with this board, but with the public so that we can develop a plan that's really truly representative of all San Franciscans. Go to the next slide. Thanks. Um, as a recap for our schedule uh, for this plan, we, we began our outreach process in January of this year, uh, really with a, a focus and an emphasis on, on understanding what works and what doesn't within different communities across the city. And that included bringing an information item to this board on April 4th. Uh, we then, uh, on Earth Day, April 22nd, launched our second phase of work, which really focused on understanding the needs and priorities of different uh, people in different communities across San Francisco, what types of access and needs and barriers they experience to biking and rolling. Um, and, and this presentation is part of that as well, to share with you some of the analysis that we conducted to date. Uh, when we get to the fall of this year, that's when we'll be sharing our draft network, uh, both with you and the public. And we want to use the fall period into the end of the year really as a public engagement process and discussion about how we refine that network so that it can truly represent uh, what the city needs to accomplish, but also representing the needs of its residents. Uh, and that will result in our bringing a draft plan this winter, likely in January, uh, to back to the public to represent that engagement and that work that we've done with them together uh, with the idea, intent of bringing a final plan through this board for adoption in the spring of next year. Um, and to just, again, recap what this plan is and what it represents is it's our first plan for rolling and bicycling since 2009. That is the 2009 Bicycle Master Plan for the city. Uh, and really, this will result in when we have it adopted in a 10 to 15 year investment plan representing uh, our priorities for a new expanded active transportation network, but also our recommendations around parking and facilities needs, not just for bicycles, but for a whole range of devices, as well as new supportive programs and policies to ensure that we're closing the gaps and barriers that people experience today uh, that keep them from accessing active transportation. Um, this plan, as I had mentioned, we began our outreach in January of this year, which will continue for a full calendar year. And really, our outreach and, and, and work is really emphasizing two focus areas above and beyond a traditional bicycle master plan. The first is that we need to ensure that we're including what we call all devices that can legally use the bike network, because there's a broad range of users now that we need to ensure are feeling included, are feeling welcomed, and feel like they have a safe and legible place for them in the street. 
Um, and we also need to ensure that we are centering our work within our equity priority communities, really ensuring that we are building things from the ground up within those communities so we can have projects that actively represent their needs and values and that people can feel and believe that projects in the future are directly benefiting their daily lives. Um, with that, I wanted to turn things over to my colleague, Christy Osorio, to, to speak a little more about our outreach process to date. Thanks, Chris. Good afternoon. My name is Christy Osorio. I'm a transportation planner in the planning division. I'm going to go into more of who we've talked to. Great. So since January, uh, we've talked to over 4,300 residents. Uh, we've gotten over 2,500 survey responses. We've held over 60 citywide events. 14 public hearings, and in April we launched, launched an interactive web app that allows users to explore data that, um, that looks at comfort, safety, and network quality, and they're able to compare that data to their own experiences. And lastly, we translate all of our uh, materials and uh, provide interpretation for our surveys, presentations, and fact sheets in English, Chinese, Spanish, and Filipino. So we're also reaching folks through different methods. Um, in addition to the surveys, we have neighborhood events. We've partnered with community-based organizations in equity priority communities. We've conducted in-language events, conducted focus groups and webinars, and we've led community bike rides with some of our most recent participants biking for the first time in 30 years. Uh, we've convened a policy working group with leading industry experts and convened a technical advisory committee of city staff from different departments. So to add context to all the data that we're collecting, we also conducted a citywide resident preference survey in April. The resident preference survey gives us a realistic snapshot of the entire city so that we're not just polling people who are interested in bicycles. Uh, this results, the results are weighted to be representative of San Francisco demographics and geography. And then moving on to our survey efforts, uh, we just wrapped up our phase two survey that asks people what is the most important for them to start rolling in San Francisco. The survey was conducted online and on paper. And as of last week, we got over 1,500 responses. And then the second prong of phase two was a dot sticker exercise where folks were uh, ranked their level of comfort on different types of network facilities. With that exercise, we also received over 1,400 votes. So at the center of all the outreach are our community partners based in equity priority communities. They are located in Soma, Western Edition in Fillmore, Tenderloin, Mission District, Bayview Hunters Point, Outer Mission, Excelsior, Ocean View, Merced Heights, and Ingleside neighborhoods. And specifically, there's Soma Filipinas, New Community Leadership Foundation, Tenderloin Community Benefit District, Poder and Bicis del Pueblo, Bayview Hunters Point Community Advocates, the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition, and in language in Chinese, the Chinatown Youth Center and Chinatown Transportation, Transportation Research and Improvement Project. And so we work with these groups who are closest to their communities so that we can create safe and engaging ways for people to provide input on what's most important to them. So they've led bike rides, they've led youth-led engagement workshops, they have focus groups and more. And so we're working closely with them to also ensure that communities are engaged throughout the entire planning process. Uh, we send them regular updates and we show them how we're using their input. And last but not least, we also have a policy working group. So this is a rotating body of 15 to 20 subject matter experts, mobility advocates, cultural district representatives, disability advocates, and merchant group 
representatives. Uh, the discussions inform the policy and programmatic recommendations in the areas of the goals, objectives, policies, and actions, the network decision framework, business corridors, communities, pro programmatic needs, expanding access to electric mobility, and then we just added another one. We've also formed subcommittees where we're gonna do a deeper dive into the network, equity, and messaging. So the policy recommendations that come out of the policy working group will be integrated back into the feedback that we hear from our community partners. And with that, I will hand it back to Chris. Thank you, Christy. So in addition to this broad-ranging public outreach effort, we also have been conducting a broad array of analysis work. Um, this really started with on, uh, on, uh, in April when we launched our interactive web map, uh, which has a few example maps on there, uh, where you can kind of mix and match many different layers of analysis to understand and explore how the city is working uh, in regards to its bike network and who's using it. Um, we were able to look at things like our existing network, but also our pipeline of projects that are upcoming. Uh, we have conducted what we call the Bike Network Comfort Index, which maps every single city across, or every single street across the city for the expected level of stress or comfort someone would experience riding a bicycle or a scooter. Um, we also looked at mode share analysis, where people are living when they commute by bike to work, uh, and being able to compare that against things like where car, car free uh, households are with, uh, distributed within the city. Um, we've also looked at collision analysis, trying to understand the, the trends of bicycle and scooter collisions across the city, both in terms of their distribution, the types of collisions, as well as uh, things like bicycle versus car versus bicycle pedestrian collisions. Um, we also know that we have a wealth of data from our micromobility operators, especially our, our e-bike share and our scooter share. Those devices are GPS tracked, so we can understand what streets those devices are using and which, street, which streets those users prefer, uh, and the volumes that, in which they're traveling on those streets. And lastly, we were able, through some model data, to actually model the, the projected uh, volumes of, of trips and uses uh, for all city streets for bicycle and, and scooter trips. And we were able to kind of slice that data by the different elements of the bike network. So understanding on, say, protected bike lanes only or slow streets only, where are we seeing high volumes in this model data versus low volumes, and being able to really analyze that for where the network is overperforming or underperforming. Um, a few key findings out of that, we, we understand looking at the, the network today that about 24% of San Francisco's streets are on today's bike network, but only 8% of those we would uh, categorize as high quality, so protected bike lanes or slow streets or bike paths. Uh, we also know that our bike commuting uh, is very highly concentrated in the neighborhoods around downtown. Even with the pandemic, we're seeing that it's those are the neighborhoods where you, we have the most bike commuting taking place. Um, we also have seen a very high correlation, understandably, between protected bike lane facilities and ridership. And the only places where we haven't seen that correlation take place with protected bike lanes is where those facilities are not as well connected to the rest of the network. Um, when looking at collisions, we were able to look at uh, collisions pre-pandemic versus since the pandemic began. And as part of that, we've seen the, the, the distribution of, of crashes change significantly with uh, collisions being grouped around downtown or now far more dispersed across the city. We also saw collisions drop generally for bicycles and scooters since the pandemic began, but we saw the severity of those collisions increase. Um, we also saw the types of collisions change, uh, whereas uh, in, in the 
pre-pandemic, uh, the, the majority collision typology was were for turning movements. So uh, a car would make a turning movement and collide with a bicyclist or scooter. Um, we saw since the pandemic began uh, collisions that are broadside, where usually someone is either running a red light or a stop sign and is hit by a car traveling in a different direction. Um, that that car type of collision has increased substantially. Uh, we also see that, that black bicyclists are more than twice as likely to be involved in a collision uh, than other users. And so when we think about safety and our safety outcomes, we need to think about who is bearing the brunt of our safety outcomes today. Um, and we also looked and, and were able to see that for, all, for injury and fatal collisions involving bicycles, only about 5% of those included a pedestrian. So also to kind of share what are the really important things that we've learned, especially looking at our survey data, especially looking at the outreach work that we've done, um, is you know the first thing is, is really that we, we can clearly understand and say that the more that we grow the network, the more people are using it. Uh, in the resident preference survey, we had asked people uh, to report which kinds of devices they use daily, not just looking at bicycles, but also looking at scooters and skateboards and other devices that we are including in this, and we've learned that 10% of San Franciscans use an active transportation device every day, um, which is a very high number. Um, and it's very exciting to, to see that, those types of results. And we've also seen, looking at our quick build projects over the last few years, that uh, through our evaluation program, that once we put in a quick build, we see bicycle and scooter trips go up on average by more than 25%. We, but we also know that there's a long way for us to go with the network. And, and that really is reflected in the fact that 80% of people in our surveys have indicated that they want to use the active transportation network. They are interested in using it, they want to use it, but only 23% of people responded that they feel comfortable enough with the network as it is today to actually use active transportation. So this is a huge opportunity gap that we have in front of us to capture new trips, to capture more trips, to make the, the bike network more accessible and egalitarian to a broader range of San Franciscans. And especially when we're looking at our equity priority communities, we saw an even smaller percent of people are comfortable with using the network as it exists today. We also know that the system we have does not function well. Um, the system is not, is not intuitive. Uh, it is, can, be, can be confusing, I think especially when we look at scooter users. Um, there's a lot of people that ride on the sidewalk because they don't feel safe enough in the network that we have today. And then that creates safety and legal hazards for pedestrians that are on the sidewalk. And so that was really reflected in our survey results where we saw that 81% of respondents wanted more traffic enforcement. But what that says to us as an agency is that we need to create systems that are intuitive and that work so that people understand where they need to be within a transportation system and that it creates more safety and more certainty for all users. Um, for some other findings that we, we have that are key is, is more than a third of San Franciscans reported having a bicycle or scooter stolen in the city, uh, which is an enormous barrier to access, especially for our low-income residents. Um, more than half of our respondents have uh, reported using a slow street, uh, although that drops to about a third in our equity priority communities, partially because some of those neighborhoods don't have any slow streets currently. Um, and more than a third of our survey respondents reported participating in Sunday streets events. So what does this really tell us uh, when we look at all of these findings together and how we need to integrate them moving forward? Um, first of all, people want more separation uh, in bike facilities from 
cars. Um, that is very clear in, in the results that we got across the board. But in addition to our needs around the network, affordability, access, and safe parking for our devices is just as important. Um, we also know that um, the projects that we bring cannot increase or, or, um, or exacerbate existing past harm within our equity priority communities. Um, we really need to look at how we can repair harm actively, and we need to ensure that we're bringing projects that can speak to that. Um, and we also know that in some of our equity priority communities, that being seen as other is a really big barrier to the adoption of active transportation. When people in communities see people that are using bikes or scooters that don't look like them, and sometimes creates conflict within these communities, that can be a, a really big cultural barrier to, to being willing to step outside your comfort zone and to be able to associate with something that's different or has a negative connotation within your community. Some other kind of high-level findings from our survey is that you know, we had very high uh, priority in our need to look at improving our facility design and connecting our network, as well as trying to create opportunities for uh, affordable access to things like electric bikes and scooters, uh, as well as improving our education uh, and, and parking for our, for our devices. Um, just This is a, a, a breakdown of some of our survey results that I'll just move through pretty quickly. We can come back to it if we need to, but I think some of the compelling things is that there's a majority support from San Franciscans to improve the active transportation network specifically for the purpose of reducing driving trips within the city. Um, there's uh, a high level of, of comfort around the affordability of active transportation devices, but there are still some higher levels of concern about that for our equity priority and lower income communities. Um, there's a substantial number of people who don't feel like they have a safe place to park their bike. And if you can't park your bike overnight somewhere, you can't use the bike network. It's not accessible to you. And lastly, that there's a pretty broad range of opinions when it comes to um, whether people on bikes and scooters are following traffic laws, which I think speaks back to that, that uh, interest in, in enforcement and creating systems that are more reliable for all users. Um, we also wanted to share some of the results that we got on, on our questions for people's comfort with different types of facilities and streets. We wanted to really understand and have people reflect back to us which types of streets they feel most comfortable using. And so this, this uh, chart kind of goes from streets with less separation down to streets with more separation. We definitely see that people are not comfortable sharing lanes with vehicles. Uh, when we do introduce a, a painted bike lane, comfort levels go up. But when they're in streets that have a lot of commercial activity or loading activities, that comfort level goes way back down again. Uh, and then we kind of see pretty much across the board there's a high level of comfort with a broad range of facility options where we're separating uh, bikes from vehicles. And there's also a high level of comfort with slow streets. Uh, in terms of what's next, we have a lot of work to do with our survey data. We need to, to uh, slice it uh, by geography and by different demographics to understand how different communities feel about different things. Uh, we also have an equity analysis to complete, which we're hoping to publish in, uh, in September. Um, we also have a range of community partner events that we need to conduct through this fall and this winter uh, with the intent of being able to bring what we call community action plans for each individual equity priority community, which will live as a miniature plan within our larger citywide plan. 
and really we wanted to kind of bring then this, with all of this information that we're sharing, we wanted to bring some key questions back to the public and to the board. Um, you know, we want to try to confirm the, the, the findings and what we think this tells us what we need to be doing, which primarily is that we need to be providing high comfort and protected infrastructure network that's connected for the city, um, but with a special amount of focus and agreement in our work in our equity priority communities. We need to make sure that we're clarifying our rules and our design for how the street works so that it's more intuitive and people understand uh, on a basic level how they can safely operate within the city. Uh, and that we also need to use uh, both our outreach work and our data um, in our continuing work in developing the network so that we can develop uh, one that is, is defensible and supported across the city. And so with that, uh, I would love to, to open things up to, to questions. Um, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much for your presentation. Um, Director Hinsey. Sure, I'll go. I, um... For this, and thank you for this update. It's nice to see the team and, and welcome Christy to your new job. Um, um, I, I don't have, for this particular phase of your presentation, I, I don't have uh, too much. I think um, we'll be all waiting to see um, what um, your recommendations are for phase three when you come back to us. But I did. Um, want to inquire also around um, cause, because one of the things and I'm sure if I didn't go first director Yacuti I was going to get to this eventually but one of the things that we um, sort of I don't know if asked for but one of the things we're pinning on the active communities plan also is a network of slow streets so I know that you're uh, working on the bike the bike or the active transportation network, uh, but are we also working on a slow street, a possible slow street candidate network? Uh, yes, yes. So our draft network right. in this fall will include recommendations for uh, for okay. new slow streets. And then you mentioned, I think to me in our uh, meeting last week, you mentioned that you were also. In your bike network, you were considering you were considering uh, possibly some removal of some streets. Uh, can you, um, could we talk a little bit about some of the standards that we might be using for for removal? Um, yeah. removal? Yes, absolutely. So there, there's a, a limited number of, of streets within our network that uh, you know, were designated as bike routes uh, on streets that really we, we can't and should not expect them to function as effective bike routes for a broad spectrum of San Francisco's population. And so when we are able to find alternatives to those streets that are not uh, an overly, over, overburdened uh, for, for a typical rider and we're able to provide a better experience uh, and a better amount of safety, uh, and access for those users, I think it is appropriate for us to be looking at uh, where we should be removing certain streets from a, a designated bike network. And then I'm assuming that we would ideally uh, uh, then substitute those less than ideal streets with more ideal sort of companion streets, more ideal alternatives. 
E e yes, exactly. We, we are looking for a comprehensive and complete network that okay. can accommodate a broad range of users. And so, you know, we, okay. we wouldn't be looking at elimination of streets without provision of uh, better alternatives. Perfect. Um, yeah, so I think, um, I don't think your, um, your takeaways were, um, at least were not surprising to me at this stage of your outreach, um, but I'm glad we are doing this comprehensive outreach, I think, you know, um, for for those of us that are newer, this is the first time we've touched this uh, plan since 20, 2009, and a lot has changed in transportation since 2009. So I, I, I'm glad we're do, doing this, um, and I don't, and I don't see any of your findings as particularly surprising. But I'm glad we're doing it in an in, in informed way, and I think we look forward to to, to really diving in and discussing um, your draft network in October. Thank you, Manager. Thank you. Thank you, Director Hinsey. Directors, any clarifying questions on this item? Director Kudiel. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, my first question, oh, you said clarifying. Do you want to go to public comment and then go back or? No, you can ask any oh, question. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm interested in the community events since most of them seem to have already passed. What was the reaction for bringing bike lanes to their neighborhoods? Did you find that people were generally supportive? What was the mood in the room? Uh, I mean, it, it's very different by neighborhood. Um, so how know. about the mission? Uh, the mission, yeah, that's, that is a very challenging discussion and there's a lot of very you know there's a lot of stakeholders in the mission as well that that have a lot of competing needs um and so you know i think the the best that we can do and the, the way that we want to approach this work is to really provide context for why we're doing it what we need to accomplish as a city and look at and demonstrate the scale of investment that's necessary for us to do things like meet our safety goals, meet our climate action goals, meet our equity goals. And within that frame, within that context of this investment scale, we really want to engage deeply with communities about what are the best ways to accomplish that within that neighborhood specifically. Hmm. Uh, so what were some of the ideas that people provided about accomplishing those goals that didn't involve some of the ideas that have been presented to them? Yeah, um, I think that you know a lot of our engagement in the mission has has involved youth, um, and so that's that's really a big frame of, of the work that we're doing. I think that for them, you know, there's a, a higher interest and higher need to be able to figure out how they can coordinate bike travel with transit trips, um, and so I think that 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 is definitely one of the pieces that we want to make sure that we're looking at. I think one of the ideas we're exploring around things called mobility hubs, where we can create the opportunity for people to, to park safely, uh, potentially with either a bike mechanic or a valet or a charging capabilities for, for batteries and being able to pair that with things like rapid and regional transit. I guess I'm wondering what happens when we go to a neighborhood and they say, we don't want bike lanes. We, we, it's not about like choosing which bike lane we want, but we don't want this. This is not what we want in our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And we're there collecting their feedback. Are we giving them assurances that we're not going to build it? Are we saying, like, thank you so much for your feedback. We'll let you know what we decide. I mean, what does the kind of back and forth sound like? Yeah. Well, I think we want to really 
first and foremost represent the voices that we're hearing, um, and we don't want to shy away from that. Um, but I think that you know we still need to put those voices within the context of what we need to be able to accomplish through this plan. And so if that means that we need to more clearly uh, you know, understand and, and document the way that we do projects in the future within these communities to more accurately cover the needs that these people are expressing or, or ways that we can continue to build trust within these communities, I think that that's absolutely very fertile ground for us to be looking at for these community action plans. I don't think we, we, we also have to communicate very clearly to folks to say, if you, you tell us you don't want bike lanes, that is fine. We still need to create a bike network for this city. Yeah, I guess um, my last thing on this is I feel like when I've heard of trust being broken with regards to MTA and projects, it's that community has given feedback about not wanting something to happen, and then it happens anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to see what we're doing differently with this plan. If community is giving us feedback that they don't want something to happen, yeah. and we do it anyway, isn't that just going to repeat the same cycle of trust feeling like it's been broken? Well, I think this gives us a starting point. Because none of, nothing in this plan leads by itself to direct implementation. But by giving us a starting point where we can really very clearly and, and visibly document and give context to the, the attitudes of different communities, the way that they've expressed their desires, that can help inform the work that we do when we come back to those communities to try to bring implementation. Okay, so let's talk about implementation for a second. Um, I think I've, ma I've made my opinion on the matter pretty clear mm -hmm. that I don't want this board or this agency to have to fight in a piecemeal nature for every single piece of this plan. Um, we, you've explained to us and we understand why it's important to go to specific communities to involve them in the planning of this, this connected network. Um, but I think in return, uh, not having, once we have a network that has been provided to us uh, that, we've been, that we've weighed in on, I feel pretty strongly that we need to agree on the network, vote on the network, and then the network gets built. And it does not become a thousand fights block by block by block on what this network should look and feel. Mm -hmm. Is that how the active community's plan, project plan feels about this? And is what is the implementation plan once a plan gets approved? How long are we expecting it to take to get built? Is it going to be built all as one network? Yeah, um, and I know that that was brought up at the, the previous board meeting. Um, and Maya or Tom, if you want to speak to this more after, yeah, if you have a, I'll yeah. After your, your okay, yeah. I mean, I think we are, as an agency, very interested in understanding and figuring out a path towards rapid implementation. Um, and we want to make sure that we're exploring options that allow us to move in parallel with this bike plan process. We don't want to tie it directly to the plan just so that we can have very clear legal footing um, for our CEQA sta um, statutory exemption uh, for this plan document. Um, and so being able to keep projects separate from plans is very important for us to do so. But I think while we do this plan, we do want to ensure that we're setting something up that can allow us to move forward into rapid implementation. Just on the issue of um, going block, 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 obviously we're trying to avoid that with this plan, the whole purpose of doing this level of, of conversation. I think what we're hearing in a broad scale is San Francisco needs this infrastructure. We need it 
in ways that it really works, that people really understand it. Even the people who don't want to use this network say, you have to figure this out. This isn't working now. We have scooters on the sidewalks. We had a member of the policy working group get injured by somebody riding a bicycle on a sidewalk after coming back from a meeting, right? So we know this has to happen. What we're recognizing also is that there are different places in the city that have different histories. And there are some neighborhoods that have to have community-led process. They have to make those decisions themselves. And my experience in working with the city in planning is that the more you are sharing power within those instances, people who have not had power, who have been seeking to be participatory, are actually going to be quite generous when sharing it and when collaborating. And I know that that feels like a stressful you know, thing to trust. We have to trust them. They then will build trust with us as well. So I, I think that there are these particular neighborhoods. I think the Mission is one of those neighborhoods. The Tenderloin is one of those neighborhoods. There are a lot of neighborhoods that have really been struggling for a long time. And I think in letting them take the time and the process to come forward with, with the things that they need, that will help those pieces knit into the larger overall fabric. There are other neighborhoods which I think are ready to go. And we've seen slow streets where the neighbors really want it. We can take those into implementation obviously, fairly directly. I mean, it's really just an issue of resources and staff capacity, right, with my, my colleagues. Um, and then there are other neighborhoods where maybe it's a little bit more ambiguous. We're not going to get that kind of pushback. It's going to be more trade-offs. It's going to be more, well, what about this and what about this? And so we're trying to do this much more systematically, and we have to. I mean, the staff alone at MTA cannot, I mean, we're spending a tremendous amount of our time navigating these little pieces, let alone, you know, folks here on, on the board. It also is a matter and a moment for you as a board and the leadership of this board, right, in approving this plan. We're going to go through a process. We're going to bring you a draft map. There's going to be options. We can weight it towards schools. We can weight it towards different issues that are at play. Then the decision-making happens. We want to make this as unpacked as possible. People have their opportunity to come forward, not in the equity priority neighborhoods where we're really doing that on the groundwork, but for everything else within the city, we have to move on those incredibly quickly. But help me understand, Maya, isn't the purpose of what's happening now going to community and getting having them power share in the decision-making so that we can come back Yes. in the fall and then in, in the spring and actually decide on a plan so that we don't have to do that? Yes. The Great. goal is for that to all be fully integrated time-wise. I mean, we plan to have those action plans that Chris described as part of this plan and to pass it with this plan. But we also, I mean, this is meant to be as comprehensive as possible and to get through that as possible. So there may we... be sticking points. I don't want to be unrealistic about that there may be some places that are still unresolved, but that doesn't mean we let them go. It just means we give them a little bit of extra time and we keep our eye on making Where decisions. Where do you think those places will be? Um, I, it's part of the process working with the community-based organizations they, and their level of capacity and their level of, I mean, you know, in terms of the community conversations, those can be really complicated and there's a lot of different kind of plays that are going on that are even separate from us. Mm. So, so I, I, I don't know where they're going to be. I'm hoping there are none of them, but I want to just be honest that that might happen. So I guess I just want to go back to my question, though. It, what I'm hearing is actually that when the, when the plan is approved by this board, that for the most part, if not in its entirety, you will be prepared to implement it. Oh. As opposed to going to Chinatown, North Beach, the Mission, the Tenderloin, and the Bayview, and having each one of those pieces come before this board to get approved. That's correct, in the sense that the, the map that we have will be, you know, it will be a, a level of detail. It's not every single line that's gonna be going on the pavement, right? So there's gonna be process when these pieces come out in physical design in many ways. What we wanna have is systemic 
ideas around design, right? Like this is how we handle this kind of condition, this is how we handle this kind of condition, but it's, it's not that level of Oh, of so it won't actually detail. say on, on Grant there will be a protected bike lane on the right-hand side. I think we'll probably have identified um, safety levels and types, right? So we'll have types, um, but it's not going to be exactly how we're handling every curb cut and how we're handling every And will the dimension. decision on how to handle every single curb cut and every barricade come back to this board to approve piece by no, piece? No, it, it shouldn't need to. So that's the goal, is to come up with the, uh, the approved level of what we're doing and then begin to implement. There will, like I said, there may be some places that we decide because of the community-led process that it operates a little differently. And sorry, and Tom, I, I believe that happens at the staff level, right? Like those, those nuances. So it wouldn't come to us necessarily. Yeah, directors, I just wanted to add that uh, a few years ago, you created the quick build program to solve this exact problem, which was we had a good policy idea. We had broad public support for something like a protected bike lane. We didn't have every detail nailed down, but you asked us to move ahead with implementation of it and to handle, you know, uh, handle on the back end the very minute details of where parking spaces go and, and how awesome. curb cuts work. So we're trying to take that model and I, I like this plan to fill up our, our, our queue for quick builds so big that we are, we are overwhelmed with the amount we want to implement. Okay, so. last thing on this, we still, we, you still come back to us for all these quick builds and we have to vote on them and approve them. So what would be different about this plan? Um, well, I think this, this plan will, will answer a lot of the questions that, that the quick build process will initially needs to figure out whenever we approach new projects individually. Uh, I think in, in, even beyond that, you know, we are looking at where do we have opportunities and looking from a policy perspective within the plan, where do we have opportunities to streamline our process? Because we also, you know, we understand the urgency of this moment and the need to be able to deliver these things rather than to continue to talk about them. Um, you know, we can't have projects that take 10 years to, to complete. Um, and we need to, to look at within, within the structure of a comprehensive citywide plan, how do we create policy solutions that can lead to streamlining for projects? And, right. and you know, the, the plan itself does not always and necessarily solve all of those questions, but it does provide us with the guidance and the roadmap to be able to prioritize those things and get them done, and, and really within the larger context of what we need to accomplish within the whole city. Okay, so my last question on implementation is, um, when are we hoping, or what, what line in the sand are we putting for us to enact this plan and actually make it real in the real world? And what are we doing now to build up internal capacity to be able to make that happen so we don't have a situation where, you know, in spring of 2024, we've agreed to a plan and then three years later, we put quick builds down in the road? Yeah, so, so part of the plan itself will be developing, uh, you know, full cost estimates around every project that we've identified, also being able to understand and identify our staffing needs to be able to deliver those types of projects. Um, so that's all things that are, are in process for development. Also part of the plan that we're developing is to set for ourselves performance metrics around uh, accountability for, for implementation and being able to ensure that we have these very lofty goals how do we ensure that the, the actual work products that coming out of the plan meet those goals? So by the, when we get presented to the plan, it'll also say we would like this to be done by this date in this year. So it'll actually come with actual real accountability metrics on timing. Yeah, so we do hope to when we bring the draft plan in January um, as a full document to have you know performance metrics that we can tie to each of our plan goals, to, to tie them back to the, the projects, to be able to evaluate, you know, does this actually accomplish the things that we want to do? But does it include a timeline for completion? Um, I, yeah, I believe, I believe we will be looking at that. I mean, I think that, that 
that that is part of the plan. Okay, I guess the exercise of bringing this to us is perhaps to get our feedback on it, and if there is feedback, I, I mean, I think it's important for us. I don't want to create a plan that then sits on a shelf, and mm -hmm. I think creating actual timeline and a staffing plan to get it done will help with that. Yeah. Um, how are you hoping that this board provide uh, policy direction for this plan? I mean, you're you, we haven't actually seen any of the treatments. We haven't seen a lot of the specifics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, presumably we've been appointed to sit here, sit on this dais and give you perspective on things. Where are you looking for the board to give you feedback? I mean, I think being able to, to confirm our own assumptions around what we've done so far um, helps to, to strengthen our work going forward. So I think we are absolutely interested in that. I think beyond that, where there are specific areas within the network that you as a board member believe that we need to be focusing our work, um, we are interested in that. Um, you know, if there are specific design typologies that you want us to be looking at, within our solutions, within the network, we want to be looking at that. When we bring this draft network to you and the public in October, we really want to ensure that it is reflecting your priorities and your understanding of how we need to change our network to better serve the city. Okay, I just have a couple more. Uh, one of the stats that surprised me in the presentation was that only 8% of our network is currently what we consider high quality bike networks. And I just wanna, I'm not a biker. So this is, I just, this is just my perspective as someone who's moving around the city. Um, do we have a goal of what percentage of the network we want to see be high quality? Um, at this point, I, I don't believe that, that we do as an agency, but I think that that's very something we should be including uh, within this plan. Great. Um, how are you defining safe in the plan? Like, are we, key, are we including uh, roads with sharrows on them where the cyclists are sharing it with cars considered like a safe way to get around the city? Uh, depending on the road, it can be. Um, when we look at streets like the Wiggle, um, I think vast majority of San Franciscans would call it a safe and comfortable facility. It primarily consists of sharrows. It also has some traffic calming. It has a few diverters here and there. Um, but you know that is a, a great San Francisco success story. And we should be looking at ensuring that we are um, putting our facilities within the context of the streets that they're on. So that when we, especially when utilizing a tool like the Bike Network Comfort Index, that can be a great tool on our part internally when understanding is this, is this street meeting our own standards um, for levels of comfort and safety, but also as a communication tool with the public to be able to demonstrate to them why we need to be making certain changes. Okay. Um, there's been, at least since I've joined this board, just a lot of tension between what we consider to be efforts to make it safer to get around San Francisco and things that might harm small businesses, in particular the great debate on access to immediate parking around a business. How are you finding those conversations and that tension uh, and the kind of perspectives on that issue as you go out into community? Yeah, and, and I'd also invite Christy to speak on this if she has any further thoughts from her work in the policy working group. Um, you know, we specifically organized a meeting for that group to look directly at the, the challenges of commercial corridors, because those are our most contested spaces, the most uh, variety, broadest variety of uses and needs. Um, and so, you know, I think one of the things that we really want to be focusing on with the Active Communities Plan is what else are we bringing as a city beyond the network itself? 
because of a lot of the challenges that a lot of small businesses experience and a lot of the reasons why they end up opposing changes to streets are because there are not viable alternatives for them for various reasons. So whether that's having you know, access to, to e-bikes for delivery, having safe uh, spaces for overnight parking, um, for having uh, you know, ways to you know, be able to create uh, incentive programs for employees that are backed by the city, um, for them to be able to get to work without using vehicles, um, for us to you know, look at uh, more in creative uses of our own parking resources um, to support uh, business corridors. You know, there's, there's a broad array of policy and programmatic solutions that we can be bringing, and we want to ensure that we look at that in a comprehensive way rather than just what are we putting on the street. Got it. Almost done. Um, can you tell me about the diversity of the project team and its contractors? Kind of what are the demogra demographic makeups of the team that we've brought together and the contractors that we found actually going out into communities of color and mm -hmm. speaking to them directly? Yeah, so the, the prime contractor is Tool Design, um, which is based in Oakland. Uh, under them, we've then contracted Safe Streets Research uh, as well as Interethnica uh, and, um, and the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition. Um, and, uh, but in addition to them, we also have our community partner contractors um, who are New Community Leadership Foundation, TLCBD, uh, the Bayview Hunters Point Community Advocates, um, Poder, and who else am I thinking? Oh, Soma Filipinas as well. And so really we did you know, have a, a very conscious effort to look and partner with organizations that do reflect um, the diversity of the communities that they work in. Um, and so you know, when we do work in the Tenderloin, we have in-person Arabic translators for the Arabic families that show up um, because we know that that's a substantial portion of that population. But what is the de what is the demographic makeup of those teams? The, the exact uh, like percentage splits. I, I don't have that on hand, but I can certainly look into Are that. Are we tracking that? Um, I believe that that was something that was looked at during the contracting and, and RFP process, but that was over a year ago at this point. So I can certainly try to pull those figures up. That would be great. It would be great to see if you take the total makeup of, you know, we're trying to go into these communities, in particular communities of color, like who are we sending out into these communities and who are the people making decisions about this plan internally uh, to kind of make sure that uh, if we are truly meaning that we're trying to have all voices represented, I would love to see kind of if they're represented uh, in the decision makers of this plan as mm -hmm. well and the, and the people that we're contracting out to kind of help us uh, figure this stuff out. So I would love to get that report back. That would be awesome. Okay. My last question is what has surprised you so far in this process? Um, in reading your report, a lot of what I see kind of makes sense. Uh, Director Hinsey kind of said this already, like not a lot of huge people like to be protected. You know, you know, if you have good facilities, more people will use them. But is there anything that you've, that you've heard so far that has surprised you? Um, I've certainly heard more about scooters than I would have expected. <laughs> Maybe if I was working somewhere else in the city, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Um, I think that you know, there's also, you know, once we get past the initial pushback within certain communities um, you know, that historically have had trouble with, with bike projects, there's, there is a lot of latent support and there's a lot of latent excitement. And I think really, the, and one of the, the major goals for this project is understanding how do we start closing those gaps? 
because this is a, a, a city that has a lot of programs. We all have a lot of offer of offerings of programmatic um, work, whether it's education classes and trying to provide people with more access, but we're not always necessarily connecting them with the right communities or doing so in a way that, that feels accessible for those communities. And so I think once we start to really understand and clearly um, close those barriers and those gaps, and to be able to represent active transportation in a way that actively reflects the community. Um, you know, I think that I'm, I'm very interested to see where we go with the idea, of, especially in communities like Baby Hunters Point and Western Edition, is that use of active transportation is, is really centered around joy and centered around uh, social activity. And that's a very different way to experience the bike network than it is when you're commuting to work. Mm. And so if we can find ways to align that work with that type of expression, that allows those communities to embrace it in a way that they haven't before. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Thank you very much to you and the project team for all the work that you're doing. Um, I'll just end by saying and repeating my, my real hope, which is that we utilize all this work we're doing on the front end to bring in community and utilize the benefits of that work by creating a clear, actionable, comprehensive implementation plan that can be done so that we don't have to relitigate all of these fights again in community immediately after you've just spent the last year and a half bringing them in. So I know I've said that, I feel like I say that every time and I think it just bears repeating because we only get so many bites at the apple, um, but help us help you by creating a, a clear implementation plan that can be action worked on once it gets implemented. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Director Kudio, for all those questions. Um, Director So. Thank you. I um, echo a lot of my fellow director, many comment, but I also wanted to say I love seeing my master plan and in, in studies, you know, because this is kind of like what the uh, urban planning people do, right? You go on study and there's a, pan, a plan mapped out here. Um, what I do wanted to say, though, just in my uh, personal uh, capacity serving the public in my previous experience, um, community outreach and um, it's a it's a delicate process. Like, how do you be culturally appropriate to mm -hmm. reach different community? And it needs to be go deeper. And I would love to see um, actually. The slide deck was really succinct about um, you have reached to you have did conducted sixty community outreach. I'd like to know what are all the 60 community outreach? And are you intend to continue to reach out more? Uh, just because sometimes some of these, um, one of the thing about equity is that a lot of these communities, they don't really have extra time to sit around and just to attend that day. And I would assume a lot of your meeting might have been in the time where they have to work. And even though off hours, some of these people are having two or three jobs. Um, so we just kind of have to reach out. It's, it might be like, it sound like really exhausting for the staff, but there, there's something that I would like to kind of highlight that is a trust building process to actually um, reach deeper. Um, sometimes, even medium, it's not the same. Like you could um, do a survey monkey to to a one group of demographics, but the other group they really like to get together in a community center and uh, bring some coffee to them, so then they will show up. I I would like to um, hear more about how you um, conducted your community outreach and. Um, 
if there's these things that I just shared with you had um, happened and how do you handle that? And also, who are the community partners? Yeah, so um, for our work in our equity priority communities, we primarily have relied upon our local community partners to dictate the ways in which we do our public outreach. And so that means that we do different work in different communities specifically designed to meet the, the outreach needs of those communities. Um, and so it ends up looking different in different places. Um, specifically for the, the partners you referenced, um, at least for contracted partners, that's Soma Pilipinas, Tenderloin Community Benefits District, New Community Leadership Foundation, Poder, and Bayview Hunters Point Community Advocates. Mm -hmm. uh, but in addition to those, we've been working in partnership with a broad constellation of other organizations. Um, I think in addition to that, we've really been looking for where are opportunities where we can meet people where they are already at, rather than asking them to come to some another workshop on another weeknight. Um, you know, we really want to ensure that we're lowering the barriers to participation and doing so in ways that are culturally appropriate. Um, and to a large extent, we rely on our partners to tell us that and to, to drive and dictate how we conduct our engagement. So not just determining who we talk to and when and how, but also having control and say over how we conduct our work, how we ask questions, what kinds of discussions we have, what else we need to be talking about. Um, you know, Western Edition Fillmore, we're going to be talking about parking enforcement because that's what people want to talk about. Even though that's not exactly about active transportation, that's part of their needs and concerns within that community. So we're prepared to talk about it when we go back to that community. I wanted to emphasize one. I, I really appreciate you actually list out the partners like on the back of your head. It's so amazing that you remember. It shows that you have spent like your um, sweat <laughs> every day working with them. Um, how about any um, Asian American Chinese communities? Have yeah. you actually partnered with them? Because considering I learned mm -hmm. so much from a lot of many directors here that uh, people look like me represent like 30 8% of the ridership or something like that, right? Really, yeah. a majority of ridership. Have you reached out, not just Chinatown, mm -hmm. but also um, Sunnydale, right? Um, um, Vestasian Valley, mm -hmm. Portola, they all have an also outer mission in the mission. There's a lot of Asian communities. Have you um, done the a culturally appropriate outreach to these communities. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have a long-standing relationship with CYC, primarily from my work in the Bayview, but we've been working with them both in Bayview Hunters Point as well as out in the Richmond District to engage with Chinese language populations. They're really good at being able to reach folks through those the, the means of communication through those different language groups. Like WeChat is very much a big thing, especially among Chinese seniors. Um, and down in kind of southern city, we've also been working with family connection centers, which we had previously worked with for the Visitation Valley and Portola community-based transportation plan. But we've been working with them to try to reach Chinese language as well as Spanish language and Vietnamese populations in the southern city. Uh, I think we had most recently attended their family carnival event down in Balboa Park um, as part of that work. And so we've been really, you know, we understand that especially for the Chinese language and, and Asian American communities, they're very broadly distributed across the city. There's not one place you can go to where you can reach them. And so, you know, we know that we need to um, have kind of broad partnerships across the city in a more distributed way. Um, and supporting that work is, is Interethnica, who's also been able to provide um, interpreters and translators, and they also do a lot of uh, detailed community-based work in the Chinese language communities. Um, and so we've been also relying on them to help us kind of inform that space and to, to make the right introductions. Okay, that's great. And um, I was wondering, um, this is an active communities plan. 
and um, you know things are kind of like a web, right? You 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 can't just look at one thing and then forget about the rest because they're just all affecting each other. It's kind of like domino effect, especially we're talking about everything linked together on the road. Um, a lot of the uh, focus on these report and findings, I've found that it's highly bike centric. Um, what about, but then in your solution uh, deck said that some of the recommendation you will come up with is um, some parking improvements and other things. So I'm curious to find that will your uh, plan um, share with us some of the uh, findings about transit riders, uh, ride sharing and parking and vehicles? Yeah, well, so to clarify around our parking recommendations, those are specifically recommendations for parking bicycles, scooters, other devices, so not car parking. Okay. Um, uh, but um, we do, you know, we are an agency that represents all transportation, uh, and we do want to ensure, and we'll be, we work regularly with our, all of our stakeholders within the agency, with transit, with curb management, with accessible services. They all sit on a technical advisory committee for this project, and we want to ensure that the projects that we develop, the policies and programs, that they complement the broader transportation landscape for the city. Um, I think, you know, the most clearest example of that is when we are able to provide things like floating transit islands uh, mm -hmm. on streets where we have bike lanes, and that improves transit service, but then it also eliminates uh, conflict between, uh, between bus routes and, and bike travel. Um, and so, you know, by looking at like where are these kind of synergistic solutions where we can both enhance things for active transportation, but enhance them for other modes as well. Yeah, I like what you, your answer. It's really great that this report, what tells me is that it's a, uh, at a micro level showing us this is what is impacted uh, or affecting or whatever we need to do with um, on bike lanes and along bike lanes but um, also once you dived into identifying micro findings which is in this plan um, there's a macro level of how its effectiveness right like in terms of overall transit speed um, transit circulation patterns throughout the entire city it's kind of like river and streams, you know, once you improve a certain row of, um, let's say this is gonna be um, like increasing the more than 8% being like the ideal bike lane, um, what are the consequences in terms of, in order to do that, um, that will um, improve or uh, have unintended consequences to the overall transit circulation pattern and speed, lim uh, speed that we are anticipating, basically for everyone. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at um, multimodal transit. Mm -hmm. It's not really just for people rolling, biking, or scootering, but it's also many other forms of trans transit transportation. I ride buses, and I do know that a lot of aunties and uncles are sick, and they can't actually mm -hmm. get on to these things to get to their um, dentist's office or um, doctor's appointment, so they need to share a ride. So I wanted to know if uh, when you come up with, I'm just looking forward to see your proposal. Next stop is that, I, but I want to plant that bug in your ear, in your ear that what I'm looking for is if you have a proposal to improve certain bike lanes because we're going to hopefully increase the 8%, the best bike lane we have. And I love it, you know, because anything we can do to make San Francisco like the best is is what I'm going for. But I also want to make sure that we don't um, impede upon other mm -hmm. people's choices of transit, right? Like, and also 
I don't want people getting into this road rage where they end up ended up um, stuck in traffic. They they just stuck stuck there, you know, stuck on the bus, stuck in the transit because uh, certain things that we have done um, had alter other um, circulation path. I mean, maybe it's already there. Like I just asking those questions that. Something yeah, you should I mean, be we, in, and, in, and in that. Chris, head. Chris, if I may, um, so Please. just last year, together with the San Francisco County Transportation Authority, um, we developed and adopted Connect SF. And that document includes two major sections. One is the transit strategy, uh, which, together with the Muni Forward program, is really designed as one of the foundational elements for the whole transportation system, which is how do we make Muni fast, frequent, and reliable? The other part is the streets and highways plan, which is about how do we make sure it is possible for people who need to drive to continue to be able to drive and for their drive trip to be um, smooth and steady, that traffic should flow in a smooth and steady way. So the active communities plan actually complements those two other plan documents. And it may be worthwhile to have a primer on how the three plans work together in order to make the whole system work, both in order to accommodate growth in San Francisco, you know, we're adding 80,000 new housing units. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that we achieve our greenhouse gas emissions reduction uh, requirements? Mm -hmm. um, and how do we make sure that we're advancing safety, supporting business recovery, um, and advancing equity all at the same time? Uh, and that's where our strategic plan tries to, tries to tie all of that together. I'd be happy to uh, offer a detailed briefing either to you directly or uh, if the board would like to hear that overall strategy as a whole. Well, thank you very much. That, that, might, that will be really helpful and I thought that also um, general public would love to hear that too because we're looking at things on a multi-level. That's, that's super helpful. And also just a note that the transportation element update will be coming too, and that will be actually the last piece of Connect SF that's going to try to sort of tie this all together as a planning document, and that sits in the general plan. And so it really looks in particular about how, like, in, in particular adding housing, we can't just add more cars, right? And so right. this is really about how all this stuff fits together, and transit and, and active transportation work beautifully together. So that's something mm -hmm. that we really want to make sure those systems complement each other. Well, that's great. Thank you. One, my one last question to you guys is that, all these, um, do you have any capital funding already earmarked for, for this? Um, yeah, so, you know, the city recently reauthorized Prop L, uh, and we look to Prop L as a primary funding mechanism for implementation. Um, this also, as a plan, will make us extremely competitive for other grant funding opportunities, especially through things like the Active Transportation Program, run through Caltrans, as well as other federal funds. So, you know, we'll be able to utilize the existing funding streams we have now, as well as find new funding streams that we otherwise wouldn't be competitive for. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Directors. Um, I'll keep my comments brief. Um, I just wanted to echo um, what Director So noted in terms of the demographics, the data that were, was represented in the deck. Um, in the next iteration of this presentation, if we can get that disaggregated, specifically by race and language demographics, that would be super helpful. I think it will help us understand, are we really hitting our intended goals when we talk about outreach and engagement? Um, and, you know, that 1.5K is great, but what does that actually look like in terms of race and, and language access? Um, the only other thing, well, two other things um, to note. 
I was really surprised by um, the the note that you mentioned in the slide deck about black bicyclists being more than twice as likely to be involved in collisions. Um, that was super alarming to me. And so I was wondering if you were able to glean any sort of a causality for that or to determine why that is the case. Um, that does seem like a major focus area for us if we want to really try to advance uh, mobility options for folks in different um, equity neighborhoods in particular. Um, but I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about that piece. Um, yeah, so the the uh, the descriptive statistics memo for the, the collision analysis was also shared as an information item packet. So, you know, at, at, it's, it's a very big packet. So at your leisure, you'll be able to, to review that certainly. Um, that's something I'd have to go back and, and review to, to pull out if there's like specific correlations around that. Um, and I wouldn't want to speak out of turn, kind of speculating on on anything around that at the moment. So, I, as you know, as you're trying to find some guidance from us um, to figure out like where should you all focus your attention, certain things that you should be um, drilling down on a bit more. That's an area that I would definitely encourage the team to look at okay. um, to see if um, if it is a matter of. Uh, just awareness, like wh whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Just trying to understand what that is, because that's definitely a percentage that I do want to actively work against. Um, and the other thing I wanted to note was that, um, you know, as we're, and I think this is mostly squarely into what uh, Christy's working on, but in terms of the policy piece, um, mode shift can't be done alone. We can't do this alone, right? Mm -hmm. So there's only so much infrastructure can do and accomplish. Um, all these other things that you guys have um, have flagged in your deck, such as like housing issues, public safety, you know, like all these different elements are huge factors in, that determine whether somebody feels safe riding their bike, scooter, mm -hmm. skateboard um, down a bike lane, um, whether or not, um, you know, their streets are paved, whether it's well-maintained, like all these different things, right? And so we as an agency can't do this alone. And so I, I do wonder, um, you know, you spoke a little bit about like the workplace strategies, perhaps like creating incentive programs. I'm assuming there's a, a partnership with OEWD in the midst, perhaps that, that might come out of this, which I think would be great and worthwhile. Um, just like an anecdote, uh, that's something that in Napa was something that we attempted with the hotel industry with some of our larger employers. Um, we were able to get an MTC grant to be able to incentivize uh, mode shift there. So that's something to think about, right? Just planting a seed there as well. Um, but thinking about, you know, all the other different partners um, from our sister agencies that we'll have to lean on. Um, is this part of like what you're seeing, Chrissy, right now in terms of like the policy analysis um, as you're looking at implementation partnerships, um, relationships that we have to build, programs that we have to build out? Um, again, infrastructure only goes so far. So we need to make sure that as we're working with like our, our partners in planning, um, we're also trying to figure out how to make sure that you know different units are equipped with you know bike infrastructure within their units or without or you know just safe bike storage, um, things like that. So if you could speak to that a little bit, that'd be great. Yeah, thanks for naming that. Um, we start off with like 15 people that we contact, and then exponentially, like everyone who we needs to be at the table starts growing. And right, so right. <laughs> I'll name that when we started talking about small business, we specifically talked to the restaurants association. So we still have more work to do, and they have told us and made introductions to industry folks in hotel as well as retail. So it's when we say business, we're specifically talking about rest, uh, restaurants, and so that's private. And so as we start also talking in 
in the policy space for like business corridors, we also just started inviting folks in from Uber, from Lyft. What are what are your policy goals? And so the intersectionality of like everything that needs to happen in order to succeed and have a robust active transportation network is happening. Um, we one thing that keeps coming over and again, I just want to like shout out our community partners down um, Boder is you know they really want to see transportation, Muni specifically, tied in with, with active transportation. We can't keep talking about these two things as separate things. It exactly. needs to be about connectivity, and we need to be integrating these two programs together. So uh, in, in terms of your original question, uh, talking about like what partnerships do we need, we are looking at agency partners. Um, we are doing one-on-ones with agency partners to go over our goals, objectives, policies, and actions. We, are we have private partners who are helping us inform policy there. We have our advocates, our mobility advocates. Um, we are doing extensive work to make sure that we're not just looking at a bike lane in the road. Excellent. And so I think in this, in your next presentation, I would love to see more information on that. I, I understand that a lot of it's still in conversation, so probably doesn't live in a deck just yet, um, but definitely would love to just get more information or context uh, around some of the work that's happening there because we can't do this work alone. Um, it's impossible for us to do this alone. It really is a cultural shift for the city as, as a whole, and we need all our different sister agencies to be um, supportive of that work um, with these different policy measures. So I, I hope that this is part of you know what we're trying to achieve with active communities, not just network, but also um, trying to figure out policy changes that we need to implement citywide to ensure that we're really trying to um, advance um, active mobilities um, across the city. Thank you so much. And um, so before we go to public comment, we are gonna take a 10 minute recess. Um, so we'll be back at 328, is that right? All right, thank you everyone. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
Everyone, we're going to resume the meeting. Um, we're currently on item 11, and we are about to open it up for public comment. And um, this is public comment on the Active Communities uh, Plan Project update. Is there anyone in the room um, ready to give public comment on this item? I do have two speaker cards, Trish Gump and Annie Freiman. Annie unfortunately had to leave. My name's Trish Gump. I'm an advocate for safe and slow streets, and I volunteer with groups including the People's Slow Streets Coalition and Kids Safe. And I'm also a San Francisco resident and a mom to two boys who ride their bikes and walk all of San Francisco and also use transit. And I do want to say that the combination of transit with the bike riding for them has been amazing. One of my kids got a flat tire once and he was able to just put the bike on the Muni and no problem. I'm honored to be part of the policy working group that is sharing ideas with SFMTA on the active communities plan. I want to say that I support a very bold plan that will allow our city to be a city where <clears throat> any child or any person of any ability should feel free to choose any mode of transport that they choose to get around. <clears throat> In addition to being involved with the policy working group, I've also been co-organizing community ACP rides with the Bike Coalition District Supervisors, local community groups, and with Chris Kidd. Um, I want to give a lot of credit to Chris and the SFMTA for participating in these rides, many of which have been taking place after working hours and on the weekends. They have been an effective way to get real on-the-ground feedback from residents and communities and provide the SFMTA with the type of feedback it needs to confidently move forward with a bold active communities plan. I wanted to share some specific feedback after a ride last week with members of the Western Edition and Fillmore. The ride included members of the community that were first time riders or had not ridden a bike since childhood. And this ride with less experienced riders was really uh, really highlighted the need for safe and very high quality infrastructure. And I just want to share some of the quotes. <clears throat> so here they are. The ride was incredible. I felt totally safe being with the group. It is something I'm looking forward to be par being a part of much more often. It was so m I was so much more cautious driving this weekend, having the firsthand experience of being a biker. I'm excited to use these share bikes again in the future, especially when I go somewhere where parking is hard. At first, I didn't understand slow streets and felt they were excluding me. Now that I rode one, I understand. I get it. Thank you. Thank you so much for your comment. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, Zach Lipton. I'm also a member of the ACP Policy Working Group. And frankly, there's been a lot of skepticism about the Active Communities Plan. I think we put a lot of hope on this plan and on the shoulders of this great team here as their way forward. And I've heard a lot of people, even members of the Board of Supervisors, really just wonder how are we actually going to have a bold and visionary plan that really delivers the kind of change that we need to live up to our values and goals. Um, I, everyone fears that this will be another one of those lovely plans with great ideas that just sits on the shelf and that when it's time to actually implement parts of this plan, we'll be right back to the years of delays and the nine hour hearings that we make you sit through to argue over just one street. 
So there's been a lot of discussion this year about building trust. And to me, building trust doesn't mean compromising on our values or dragging things out for years. It means doing what you say you're going to do and doing it well. So if we say we're going to build this great active transportation network, we need a bold plan and we need the resources and processes in place to do a high quality job of implementing it quickly. What does this look like? For the plan, I think it means designing a network where the entire city is within a five minute walk of a safe, connected, well used and joyful active transportation network. One that's safe for all ages and abilities. It means using this robust community planning process we're doing to establish a mandate for the plan's construction. So every single project doesn't involve relitigating whether or not this network should exist. But we also need to get the implementation right so that we can build out this network. I'd love to see it if we could come right out of the gate next year with a series of showcase pilot streets that would demonstrate the network's potential. Um, and streets that are not just safe to bike and roll on, but really the joyful and business boosting public spaces um, with art and plazas and greenery that we want to see really means developing the capacity to work with city agencies to do these kinds of projects and bring those into our quick build toolkit. Um, so I hope this board can really push for a bold active communities plan and also establish the accountability we'll need to actually make it happen. Thank you. Thank you so much for your comments. And we have one more. <laughs> Thank you, board. Um, Luke Bornheimer. First, uh, thank you to staff, uh, specifically Chris and Christy, for their work on this plan, as well as the policy working group, um, which I've had the privilege of serving on. Um, I'm impressed by and proud of staff for their work, outreach, and engagement with a wide variety of individuals, communities, and place and policymakers on this plan. Um, I encourage each of you to go to the outreach and engagement events to see this work firsthand, and so you have confidence uh, in their work when the plan and its policies are brought to you for approval. Um, I want to call attention to the need for three critical elements for this plan. Uh, a network map with specified uh, facilities, notably protected mobility lanes, on a per block basis with a timeline and deadline by which the agency will install all of those facilities on that network. Uh, second, policies that mandate the aforementioned map and facilities to be built while empowering staff to do what they do best and what they've been engaging about with communities throughout the city. Um, and finally, I'd like to see a, a definition from you about what is, you know, quote unquote, enough outreach. You know, we talk a lot about outreach, but I think it's, I think it's important that we define what is enough because as this plan moves forward and staff and the city needs your support, we need to have a clear definition of what is enough because there will inevitably be individuals who say we didn't do enough outreach, we didn't do the right type of outreach. And so I think the board actually taking a stance on what is enough, trying to define that I think is really critical. Um, this plan has the potential to be positive and transformative, um, but it needs to have a concrete map with specified facilities, a concrete plan and timeline for implementation, um, concrete policies to mandate and enforce implementation and your support to enable and empower staff to implement that plan quickly and effectively. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your comment. Don't see any more comments or folks approaching the podium. So we're going to move to um, remote public comment. 
At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. Moderator, first speaker. Hello, my name is Eric Rosell, and I'm a long-term resident of the Tenderloin and the Director of SAFE Program at Tenderloin Community Benefit District. I'd like to thank Chris and Christy and the SFMTA staff for their effort in ensuring the Tenderloin community is included in the Active Communities Plan, that our need for safer streets and improved active transportation are noted, discussed, planned for, and eventually implemented. On behalf of the community, I ask that after the planning process is complete, we immediately begin bringing about the most urgent safety changes we desperately need. Over the course of many years, we have done extensive outreach in the community, highlighting our concerns, needs, and wants for safer streets, more accessible, reliable transit, and safer active transportation, oftentimes resulting in extremely slow or no changes. Therefore, it is imperative for the Tenderloin community to see our planning efforts be implemented. It only further complicates the relationship between the city and community and creates further distrust and harms outreach credibility when our planning efforts are ignored or never implemented. Therefore, we ask that the city begin exploring and securing funding sources and get sister city agencies approvals, like the fire department, that'll be needed to bring about the planning recommendations we need to transform our community into a safer and more vibrant community for all. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Next speaker. This is Stacy Randecker. This program would make a lot of sense if it had been started 10 years ago, but it is completely out of order today. You're asking communities to comment on something that sounds like science fiction or alien vaders to most. They don't know what a real bike and slow streets network is because how many of us honestly have actually ever experienced it here in the United States? You're asking only those who are brave enough have the time available and are so inclined to comment. The first thing that should have happened is to take those plastic posts that you use everywhere and actually put them everywhere to create a comprehensive network of visually, not physically, protected lanes so people could get an idea of what could be. Then ask people how it is going and what should be changed. When I hear about 61 events, 14 public hearings, calls for more input to make sure everything's okay before we proceed, we don't know it here, but the planet is burning. We're in grave danger in terms of the climate and our streets are not safe enough for people eight to 80 to bike here. We cannot wait for this plan to be completed. There's been too much at the wrong part of the process already. We need to act because we all bleed and break the same. It doesn't matter what color or country we come from. 30 seconds. We, are, we need help. We need a network and it needs to begin now. Earnestly start making it start moving cars out of the way and let people see what could happen and where we should fine tune it this is crazy please act thank you thank you next speaker 
this is Herbert Weiner. <clears throat> now, I have some questions. Usually, the out, outreach has been miserable. People uh, who are concerned testify, and then the original plan is implemented. What I would like to see publicly stated is what is proposed and what all parties have proposed and how this contrasts with the original plan. Now you talk about accessibility. Five minutes to some means of transportation. Does this apply also to people who are seniors and the disabled? And in light of this, are you willing to revise bus stops and revise bus runs and even allow more coaches? And will this clash with the plans of Muni forward? You really have to do this democratically or otherwise it's going to be another MTA project where certain parties are favored over another. This you must do. And uh, so far, I've seen the services of MTA of Muni get worse and worse and worse over the years. So you really have to revise your intent as well as uh, come forth with a new policy. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello. Good afternoon. This is Barry Toronto. I, um, unlike some other speakers, I actually think it's great to do more outreach through the active communities plan. Uh, uh, but the thing is, what is outreach? That's a good question that another speaker asked. Uh, the taxi community has given outreach uh, considering the Board of Appeals, but they didn't tell us that actually they wanted to eliminate them. So what, define outreach. And that is something that has not been very well done by this agency. Mentioning it in a meeting is not the same as actually engaging in communities and what they want, like when they want speed bumps on their, on their block. That is, that is outreach. Uh, so so, uh, so w w if they want autonomous vehicles in their neighborhood, well, the, the CPUC is not get, doing any, it has not done any outreach. Except Monday is outreach. I hope people will call in and, and, do, and, and do their outreach. They don't want autonomous vehicles on their blocks. So the thing is, is that it's important to ask the community and do the democratic process, unlike Mr. Trump, who was indicted today for uh, interfering with, with the democratic process. So, uh, so I tell you that make sure when you, when you, when you under, continue to undergo these, these, uh, these uh, uh, asking for feedback and participation by the community, that, that you actually do outreach. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, oh, and last thing, when you talk about uh, outside lands and the, and the community not wanting to pay surge pricing, that is uh, uh, making sure the cap stands are there for outside lands and enforced uh, so people don't have to be wandering all over the place uh, looking for vehicles. Uh, so I ask you, again, define outreach. Thank you. Your time is up. No additional callers.
Thank you, Secretary Silva. We will now close public comment. Um, can you please call the next item? Sure. Places you on item number 12. Discussion and vote pursuant to admin code section 67.10D as to whether to invoke the attorney a client privilege and conduct a closed session conference with legal counsel. We will now open public comment for those attending the meeting in person on this item. Not seeing anyone. Secretary Silva, do we have remote public comment on this item? At this time, we'll move to remote public comment, not to exceed a total time of 10 minutes. Members of the public wishing to comment should dial star three to enter the queue. Each speaker will have two minutes. We have no speakers. Thank you, Secretary Silva. We will now close public comment on this item. Colleagues, may I have a motion and a second to go into closed session? Move to go into closed session. Second. Thank you. Um, Secretary Silva, please call the roll. On the motion to go into closed session, Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. Director So? Aye. So aye. Director Yukutiel? Aye. Yukutiel, aye. Director Kahina? Aye. Kahina, aye. Thank you. The motion passes. The board will now go into closed session.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Oh, sorry. Thank you. Um, Secretary Silva, please call the next item. Places you on item number 13, announcement of closed session. The board met in closed session to discuss the listed case and voted to settle the matter. Places you on item number 14, motion to disclose or not disclose the information discussed in closed session. Motion not to disclose. Second. Thank you. Um, Secretary Silva, please call the roll. On the motion to not disclose, Director Hinzi. Aye. Hinzi, aye. Director So. Aye. So aye. Director Yukutiel. Aye. Yukutiel, aye. Director Kahina. Aye. Kahina, aye. Thank you. That motion passes and concludes the business before you today. Thank you, colleagues, staff, and members of the public. We are now adjourned. The next meeting is August 15th and September 5th. Thank you. Thank you.